Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You might actually be the most derivative one of all. I mean, Christ, the same house. Maybe so. But you forgot the first rule of surviving a stab movie. Never answer the... I'm bored. Wait! Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking family trauma. We're talking all I get is that fucking face on your face. And we're talking... And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking Hail Payment, as we are discussing Hereditary <laughs> uh, just shortly after its five-year anniversary, y'all. Oof. Wow. What is time? <laughs> also, I'm really mad you said fucking face on your face, because I was so primed to be like, <laughs> we're talking that fucking face on your face. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite possibly the funniest line delivery in a really terrible diatribe. Ooh, see, I disagree. For me, it's whenever they're doing the seance, and she's like, stop. And Andy, I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but before we get too deep into this, because, oh my god, we have so much to discuss, let's bring in our guests who are waiting in the wings, everyone. They are the hosts of the horror podcast, Girl That's Scary, in which they discuss poltergeists, their plans for the pending zombie apocalypse, and everything in between. You may also remember them from our previous episode on Diabolique, way back in 2021. Mm-hmm. Please welcome Jazz and Cat. Woo! Hey. We're here. We're back. <laughs> here to cause some trouble. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like back when you were on the show the first time, we were like, we'll have you back for something a little bit lighter than Diabolique. Lo and behold, here you are for Hereditary. And meanwhile, I love this movie, so I don't care. Like, everybody's like, oh, this movie's so depressing. And I'm like, oh, it's just a day that ends in Y. I'm going to just press play on Hereditary. <laughs> oh, it's streaming for free. Let me just watch this movie. Yay. Wonderful choice. <laughs> I am a fan. <laughs> well that's i mean we were talking about this a little bit offline before we hit the record button but this movie is almost like a i don't want to say a puzzle but it's like a where's waldo thing where like every time i watch it i notice a little detail that like basically foreshadows everything that's about to come yes mm-hmm. yes i think i've watched it 
who I don't even know want to know how many it's been double digits times since I've seen Hereditary. I watched it literally a few days ago. Like, let me just put it on again and see if I notice something because I want a fresh watch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? And I'm like, wait a minute, I didn't even notice this little house tower thing. Wait, wait a minute. I didn't notice this statue. Or like the actual <laughs> statues that mama is making. I was like, she in here making toys. And then you get a closer look and you're like, mm, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Everything, like ev- all the details. They're all over the place, which is great because it's like you get a bunch of clues. So if you miss one, there's another one. Right. Well, I'm curious for both of you. So do either one or do either or both of you remember how you felt about this movie the first time you saw it? Like when you walked out of the theater or when you finished your VOD rental? <laughs> I was scared. I saw this in theaters. I think I saw the trailer. I don't know, but I was like, yeah, I remember being in theaters and was like, damn, that is some scary shit. This is one of the first movies that scared me in a long time. And I was like, oh my gosh. And the crowd reaction when certain scenes happen, you're like, because oh, they're noticing things. It, it's not a musical sting. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you have to look for it. And then when yeah. you realize it, you're like, oh my God, please. Yeah. Also, I like demons. Yeah. Oh yeah, demons is always that. You know what? You saw how excited I got about demons? Somebody's really going to look at me. <laughs> um yeah no 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 this was a really good fucking time i was scared i think i got it on vod or somehow watched it in the house i definitely didn't see it in movie theaters but i was shooketh i love a movie that randomly like either just like caprise it's a cult or sometimes (laughs) or i figured out it's a cult like usually in the first 30 minutes i can figure out it's a cult like right if I'm sitting next to it doesn't matter who I'm sitting next to like you'll see me go over like I think this is a cult (laughs) (laughs) cat's just on the bus somewhere I think it's a cult (laughs) listen I do that for regular people like it's giving cult are you okay like just checking in I do like are you okay like it's giving cult Um, but no this (laughs) this gave cult and it delivered I was scared as shit like that's literally it and it's pretty hard to say like you know, I'm, I'm pretty, we're all on the same page. We engulf a lot of, like, media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, sometimes, you know, it feels, I don't know about y'all, I feel really, a little good, air quotes, whatever you want to say, when we can walk away from a film and be like, damn, I was, like, I was scared. It got me, <laughs> finally. I felt something again. Yeah. Right! But you're right, though. I mean, it, it, this movie does require um, paying attention to it. And that's why, like, I feel like, I mean, there is, I mean, look, there are so many things I missed on my first viewing. I saw this twice in theaters. My first viewing was after, because it premiered at Sundance, and it was the talk of the town when it premiered mm-hmm. at Sundance. Um, so much so that, I mean, like, like A24 released a trailer for this about nine days after its Sundance premiere. And so it's like, they they had this shit ready to go. They, they knew. knew what they had. Exactly. Yeah. But I confess, the first time I watched it, I, I did really like it, but I wasn't getting... It's the expectations game coming in, right? Where I'm like, I'm not really like getting like the full scares except for those last 15 minutes. And then, you know, on a second watch, which I saw it again in theaters, I was like, oh, this is one of those dread atmosphere movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it very, it, once, I, again, once I'm not in a movie going, okay, movie, come on, scare me. What do you got? Um, it's much easier to be scared that way. That's so funny because I feel like a lot of people gravitate to this film because they have very challenging relationships with their parents or they are experiencing grief or loss or even working through mental illnesses. And they see a lot of that in the early parts of the film. You know, I, I think for some people, the ending is very much where it's at, right? Like, you know, that meme that went around a girl wants to watch something that makes her feel good. So she puts on the movie where the woman saws her own head off with piano wire. I I love that idea. But also I think so much of this movie is effective 
Like you need the early parts of this film to make those last 15 minutes work as well as Mm -hmm. they do. Yes, they definitely set the tone. And on top of that, just the subtleness of we've all seen demon possession movies, right? Oh, yeah. They all do the same shit. And this is something where it's demon possession, but in a way that is so realistic and like the the fucking possession and all this stuff is happening right up under your nose. Mm -hmm. And it's so subtle that you like, you know, no one's like vomiting fucking pea soup and shit. Like, no, you're not <laughs> getting any of that. You're not getting the power of the Christ compels you. No priest is coming in. You're not getting that. But you're still getting the cult. You're still getting the lore. You're still getting the the terror. It's just terrifying because it's just real life. <laughs> but it, but it's also I mean, this is also a possession movie, which I, I, I <sighs> You know, would I lump this in with like the exorcist as, as like that subgenre of film? I'm not really sure if I would, but this is a possession film in which the person who's possessed has already been possessed and they've been possessed right. for 13 years. Um, we're just watching a transference because the demon is unhappy with his human host gender. <laughs> exactly. Also, I love that you both were like, mm, well, it's not like The Exorcist, you know, we're not getting that. But if you look at the fucking box art, it's this generation's The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that fucking pull quote. The thing with The Exorcist is, yes, I would lump them together because they both start out where the first half of the film is very much a family drama mm-hmm. that slowly becomes a more horrifying horror film. Right. I can agree with that. But, um, okay, well, this is a two-hour and seven-minute movie, so let's go through um, the brief production history that I have. So, Hereditary is writer-director Ari Aster's feature directorial debut, but he actually got his start in the film industry as a student at the American Film Institute. But um, in 2008, he scripted and directed a provocative short film called The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Have y'all seen this one? Yes. (laughs) I mean, if you saw Bo is Afraid, you basically saw a three-hour version of it. Wow. Oh, God. Um, That and Munchausen? Yes. Because we did an episode on Ari Aster, so we covered all of his films up until that point. Mm -hmm. Bo is Afraid hadn't come out yet. And he has a short film called Bo as well. I don't know if those are connected. That one's not online. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but I'm sorry for anyone listening. We'll put these in the show notes. But um, both The Strange Thing About the Johnsons and uh, 2014's Munchausen are available on YouTube to watch. Nice. Warnings. Just warnings. All of them. Oh, mm-hmm. warnings. Yes. <laughs> warning, trigger warning for everything for Strange Thing About Johnson. Both of the movies. It's going to ruin your fucking day. Well, that's the thing. That, that's a 30-minute quote-unquote short film that gets to the point right away. And so the whole 30 minutes is just like your skin is crawling. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes I think about... What is Ari Aster going through? What's wrong <laughs> okay, yes. with him? He has mommy issues. <laughs> Literally, he something, something. I want to be on the couch. I need to be a fly on the wall when he's sitting on the couch. Because what's going on when oh, you're talking to a therapist or counselor, which I hope you're talking to if you're making stuff like this. Because what's going on, friend? You know, <laughs> I will say this. So when, when oh, he was at Fantastic Fest one year, but at Fantastic Fest, they just think called the Fantastic uh Fantastic Feud. It's basically Family Feud, but with movie stuff. And they get a bunch of industry people to go up, and they're on, like, one team. And they have a bunch of journalists go up to be on another team. And so I got to do this one year against Ari Aster. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, he didn't. He missed a question about seven, which was really embarrassing for him. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I will say he actually seems really nice, and I hate using the word normal, but, like, he looks. he seems nice and normal. 
well he's like every horror director then right you know they're putting all their shit onto the screen and then in real life they're just completely well-adjusted nice normal human beings <laughs> wearing hawaiian shirts they're minding their business you just catch them in the, the smoothie line they're just doing regular shit I'm like oh okay <laughs> meanwhile i'm gonna go home and make this short story about a child who's raping his father oh my god oh god, oh god. Yeah. I just got teleported back. Help. (laughs) SOS. It's a cult. Mom, pick me up. I'm scared. Oh my God. (laughs) Do you realize that people go like, hey, have y'all seen this movie? Like when you come across someone who hasn't seen it. And then whenever I overhear these conversations or see it online, I'm like, baby, no. Wait. (laughs) Did you read what the movie was about first? I've only seen it once. And I I feel like I should watch it again just to see like the craft behind it. Because the first time I watched it, I was just so aghast with everything that was happening on screen so much fun yeah um but anyway so yeah it was these two shorts um and possibly Bo, because that was 2011 but i'm not sure um that brought him under the eyes of a24 so when pitching hereditary he did so as a family tragedy careful not to call it a horror film outright Boo. (laughs) but this is funny because all the reviews called it a horror film (laughs) thank god okay um, he is a big fan of domestic drama, so I can only assume that films like Joe, Don't Look Now, mm-hmm. and Ordinary People were probably big influences on him, and specifically with this film. Yes, I think he also said the cook, his wife, the thief, and... Ah, fuck, I got the title yeah. wrong, but people know. It's that one, and also Carrie, which I guess I kind of get Carrie, like, from the Charlie perspective, but, like, Charlie's not really a figure in this movie for much of its runtime, but... Right. Yeah, she's a little passive. <laughs> I mean, she's dealing with some shit. I mean, technically, we'll get into it. We'll get to it. Well, so he incorporated themes of the genre into his script. I'm envisioning a film rooted in family dynamics, trauma, trauma, and trauma. Grief. He interpreted the film as two halves, which are completely inextricable from each other. That's a quote. Um, beginning as a family tragedy and then continuing down that path, but gradually curdles into a full bore nightmare. Filming began in February of 2017 in Utah, and this is pretty much where all of the exteriors were shot, but almost all of the interiors, including both versions of the treehouse, uh, meaning the treehouse we see from most of the film and then the diorama at the very end, Hmm. they were built from scratch on a soundstage. Uh, And since each of the rooms was built on a stage, walls could be removed to shoot scenes at a much greater distance than a practical location would allow. And this allowed Astor to create the dollhouse aesthetic of the film. And of course... That reinforces the movie's idea that the characters in the film are just pawns being moved around by a higher power playing with their dolls. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is demonic The Sims. Yes, The Sims. Because <laughs> that's, that's what's happening. Oh, I love this house, though. Like, the visual design. I mean, everything about Ari Aster's work is very carefully polished. I think it's fascinating that we got Robert Eggers, Ari Aster, and Jordan Peele all dropping a debut feature in the span of about a year, and they all just have this kind of polish on them that is unprecedented. It's like the best trio of horror debuts since... I mean, I I frequently compare those three to M. Night and The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. It's The Witch in 2016, Get Out 2017, and then this 2018. But then when this comes out, isn't that also when we're getting like, uh, no, 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 2019 is us. I mean, all their sophomore features, too. <laughs> yeah. Which, you like you're saying, all these movies, the first ones, I'm like, oh, my God, this is not like a first film Mm-mm. kind of thing. Like, this is, yeah. you've been here before. Who are you? You're a pro. Hold on. <laughs> Agreed. I mean, honestly, it's, I know this is obviously a cinematographer, um, 
Pavel Pogorelsky, but like the camera work in this film is yes. astounding. Like if you just if you just kind of like turn off your brain and just focus on how the camera moves in each scene, it's hypnotic. Mm-hmm. Literally, how it pulls in for like intimate conversations, how it like s- like slowly closes in, mm-hmm. and you get closer and closer, or the pulling away, or just use the transitions as well, mm-hmm. or, or like the the abrupt like shifts from left to right, the panning as we're doing that, like it's just like it always matches the mood that's happening on screen. Yeah, you're right. I can think of a particular scene right now that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Y'all are saying this in the movies playing in the background, and it, it, it's dead ass, and it, like. Everything y'all are saying is correct. The movie makes you feel like you're transported into what all is going on. Like, this is your perception. Like, we are we are going through the shit with the characters. Yeah. Right. So, um, as I said, Hereditary premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 21st, 2018, and was immediately the talk of the town. It got a June 8th, 2018 theatrical release, um, and it was projected to gross anywhere from 5 to $9 million on its opening weekend, as it was opening up against Ocean's 8 and um, Hotel Artemis. Remember that one? Nope. <laughs> I, I mean, all yes, I know, but... Jodie Foster's in it. I know that much about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, um, other summer blockbusters were um, in their like second and third weeks of release, like Deadpool 2 and Solo, A Star Wars Story. Well... Hereditary um, received the widest ever release for an A24 film in almost 3,000 theaters, and it went on to gross, overperforming, 13.6 million its opening weekend, landing it in fourth place. But despite the D-plus cinema score from audiences (laughs) that weekend, (laughs) it had remarkable staying power, only dropping 49.5% at second weekend, um, and for comparison's sake, most horror films drop anywhere from 60 to 70% their second weekend. It went on to gross 44.1 million domestically and 38.5 million overseas for a worldwide gross of 82.5 million dollars against a production budget of 10 million dollars. Wow, I want y'all to know my mouth gaped open when you said a D plus from the audience. I'm looking at them and I'm judging them. Okay, I'm judging. <laughs> so here's the thing with Cinema Score. Um, Cinema Score audiences are dumb. I don't know who they are. Like, I, I think they're on like in New York and LA. Like people stand outside theaters and hand people these surveys when they're walking out of the theater and they say, "What did you? What would you give this?" Because I've never been in a theater that does this, but this is meant to be a pretty good indicator of what the next weekend will look like. If a movie gets a D plus, that means, oh, everyone is going out telling their friends how horrible this movie was. So no one will go see it the second weekend. So that it only dropped 50% is kind of a miracle. Mm -hmm. And it's not like, oh, it was only playing in 200 theaters, so it had a lower drop. It's like 3,000 theaters is pretty freaking wide. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't – but again, the thing with that, too, is, like, if a movie has a bad ending or if certain things are are ambiguous or if the audience feels they're ambiguous and not every single question is answered by the end of the film, they will be pulling out that D-Cinema score. <laughs> right. Well, and this movie doesn't end happily. <laughs> it doesn't. And I know that people don't like bleak endings, but I enjoy a bleak ending. I do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, on July 29, 2018, it became A24's highest grossing film worldwide, um, beating Lady Bird's 78.5 million, and it held that record up until last year, when it was surpassed by Everything Everywhere All at Once, which um, has a pretty stellar worldwide gross of $141 million. Right. Okay, that's a good movie. I love that Mm -hmm. movie. Oh yeah, Uh, also (laughs) speaking of family trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Ooh, that is a mommy issue movie. Yes, (laughs) that one just goes in a more fantastical direction. Yes, it's much more positive. 
But yeah, so uh, critic reception, though, as opposed to audience reception, um, it got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. There we go. Average score of 8.3 out of 10. Uh, Metacritic, it's got an 87 out of 100. And Letterboxd users, a.k.a. the smart people that should be doing CinemaScore, um, <laughs> gave it an 8 out of 10. Right. Okay. I'm curious, Kat, what did you give this movie the first time you saw it? A 9. Yes. Okay, and Jazz? I definitely gave it like um, a 9, 9.5 because I was scared. I liked it. I wanted to see it again. Every time it was streaming, I watched it. This movie has a chokehold on me. Not going to lie. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining like the movie poster, like putting a chokehold on you like, yeah, you like that. Yeah, I scared you. And I'm like, you. yeah, I like that. Choke me again. <laughs> Choke me, daddy. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, so I suppose it's me now, is it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> cool. Let's talk about this movie. So we open with an obituary for Ellen Tapper Lee. This is a character who we will never see alive, and we will technically not even see the actress outside of still photography. You don't think that's a real person in that, in that casket? I mean, it, it's an actual actress. Like, you can find her credit on uh, Wikipedia, but she doesn't, like, it's unusual for someone to appear in a film and only play, like, a dead body. Like, this isn't CSI or Law & Order. I think the only thing I can, I can compare it to, and granted, this is a movie I haven't seen in a long time, but I feel like The Big Chill, like, isn't Kevin Costner the corpse in The Big Chill, and that's his only role in the movie? I've never seen that. I haven't seen um, it. <laughs> but... Um, the Autopsy of Jane Doe oh, yeah. would be a good example. Ooh. I love that movie, too. There is a, a fucking performance where that actress doesn't get to do jack shit, and yet she is such a menace on that entire production. I love it. Um, okay, also, I'm sorry, I have to clarify this. So in case you don't know, the big chill is about a bunch of people, all-star cast, Glenn Close, Jeff Goldblum, William Hurt, blah, 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 who all gather at a funeral when they're friend dies by suicide uh and that's kevin costner and he is only a corpse in the movie because all scenes showing his face were cut out in post-production <laughs> oh ouch wow. <laughs> okay so yes if you want to be fact finding looking for clues uh we are immediately getting exposition from this obituary which is telling us a little something something about how miss ellen lived her life but then we shift from a view of a treehouse and we go through a studio that is filled with miniatures. And then we zoom in slowly on a bedroom that then becomes real life as we see Steve, who is played by Gabriel Byrne. And he comes in to wake up his teenage son, Peter, who is played by Alex Wolf. This is a great transition to this is what you were mentioning earlier, Jazz, where it's like this. I, <laughs> I want to see the transition from where we're going from, like the diorama to the real life bedroom and i can't i can never pinpoint it either time it just it's so seamless mm -hmm. it is seamless and on top of that something i noticed about the room and i don't know if this is true but like as they're zooming in the sunlight is coming in and you can see it looks smoky so mm. i'm like no he was smoking in that room before his daddy came in there and he's fake sleeping in there because you see him smoking in the house and blowing it out the window later right. like girl we can they can smell that gas if you in here smoking like this i know they smell it it's in here smelling <laughs> like pine cones we see the smoke <laughs> but fun fact, though, when we see him smoking in that window, um, we are in the POV of one of the cult members because we can see breath blowing in the wind from our POV as they're watching Alex Wolf in that window. 
What? I caught that. God, I'm so yeah, scared. I caught that this time. Literally, mm-hmm. well, not this time, but yesterday. Yeah. That's the first. I was like, wait a minute, who's in there? Yep. <laughs> it's very subtle. And again, if you don't, if, it's these little, little things, these touches that Ari Aster does. I will say, if y'all can find the script for this online, it is available. Um, read Ooh. it because all of these clues that Ari Aster puts in the movie, but doesn't like, like make a point to highlight, they're all noted in the script. Like, be it hmm. a picture on the wall that is gets maybe a second of screen time in the script. It's like, oh, this picture is of this, which clues us into this. <laughs> it's like he wrote the script specifically for himself. Don't forget about the fucking picture. It's important. <laughs> well, that's because that's the thing with this movie, right? We're watching essentially from from beginning to end because we I think when you're walking into this, you think, OK, at some point, the cult's going to get their hooks in them when they have it from the very beginning or from mm-hmm. sorry, from before the events of the film. And so I think what could be frustrating to some viewers is that we don't. Like, we're constantly in the POV of this family, and they don't always know what's happening to them. And so by proxy, we don't always know what's happening to them. But I like that. I like being mm-hmm. dropped off in the action and then figuring it out. If you lay everything out, it's like you're being spoon-fed. And then it's predictable. If you get dropped in, it's like, okay, you got to figure this shit out. They figuring it out, you're figuring it out. So I think that makes for a more exciting or more, you know, something that you can watch over and over again. And like we talked about, you can keep watching it over and over again because then you pick up all these pieces. Because the first view, you're always trying to figure out what the hell is happening. Right. Just like in Jordan Peele films, like you're trying to figure out what the hell is happening sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, so that first watch, you can't catch everything because you're like, what the fuck is going on here? But if you know what the fuck is going on, it's not exciting. It's like a paint by numbers. Well, either that or it has to be so expertly done that there's other sources of enjoyment because I've I've seen films where I've kind of known exactly what's going to happen, but there's still fun things to keep my attention or performances Mm -hmm. that will entrance me. But you're right. I mean, if you're making a movie that has twists or turns or something unexpected in it, like if I can figure it out, then suddenly I'm watching Columbo and I'm not as excited. (laughs) Never seen Columbo. I just know he has a really, his suit looks really like he woke up, like he slept in his suit. That's what it looks like. He yeah, slept he's in a, his trench coat. <laughs> he's a little trashy. Yeah. <laughs> like we know the crime, like we know who has committed the crime and then he comes in and solves it. So it's kind of like Poker Face in that way, the what? Natasha Leone show. I was going to say, is Columbo just the male murder she wrote? No, because in Murder, She Wrote, you have to solve the crime with Jessica Fletcher. Columbo, you already know what's happened, and then you watch him solve it. Uh, in case you couldn't tell, I've seen neither of these shows. Wow. <laughs> bad My game. grandma used to watch uh, Murder, She Wrote all the time. Yes. That little theme song. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Listen, bring back memories. Here's the thing. Revisionist take on Murder, She Wrote. This is not an original concept, folks. You could reboot the show so easily with Jessica Fletcher. That's the Angela Lansbury character. Mm-hmm. Um where she basically is just like a serial murderer because Cabot Cove has the highest body count of any small town because she is solving murders on the daily, on the weekly. Wow. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, so we've been introduced to Steve. We've been introduced to Peter. Steve is there to wake Peter up because they are late. Annie, that is Tony Collette. Yes. Oh, waiting down in the car because we are clean. on our way to a funeral and we are late babies it's so funny because when reading about the casting for her you know she was like oh she didn't want to do something serious i saw something that was like oh she didn't want to do a horror movie and i was like i don't i mean come on tony collette's done this six since she did krampus like three years before mm-hmm. this 
Yeah, mm-hmm. in in the Blu-ray features, there's an interview with her, and she says she w- she had just done a couple of really heavy films, so she was looking to do something light. So she wanted to do a comedy, and then she got the script, and she was like, "Well, fuck, now I got to do this because it's great." Mm-hmm. Unreal. I mean, kind of related, but unrelated. I will tell you also, I have not seen Mafia Mama that came out um just a couple of months ago. All the reviews would tell me that it's bad. I have had three or four friends that went to go see it and said it was delightful. And now I really want to go see Tony Collette be an R-rated mafia. <laughs> I didn't know about this movie until you just said something. And I'm going to go look for it. anything that Tony Collette is in. I'm going to watch. She's oh. in the Fright Night remake. She, mm-hmm. oh, I, yeah. I enjoyed that because people are like, you know, they hate remakes. That's not a bad remake. It's not bad. It's solid. Yeah. Yeah, I I have difficulty with that one because they just do the whole queer erasure and that really bothers me because I have such a fondness for the original Fright Night. But if you take it for what it is, it is a very fun film. Mm -hmm. Okay, so back to this not so fun film. So Annie is waiting in the car, but we are still missing a child. So Steve goes to the treehouse to find Charlie, who is played by Millie Shapiro. Uh... Shall we just acknowledge that she is wearing facial prosthetics and makeup? So this is not actually what her face looks like. Ma'am, I'm going to tell you right now, I had to interview her too after the South by Southwest premiere. And I was kind of like, when the, I wanted to ask about it, but I was afraid they weren't prosthetics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't want to be that guy that's like, so show me your prosthetics. And she's like, what prosthetics? Oh, no. Oh, no. Because <laughs> it's subtle, right? Like, you can you can look at her face and be like, it sounds terrible. You look at the actress's face and it's just there's something a slight bit uncanny about it. And that's the reason that we do it, right? It's because it makes you feel like something is just gently off, but it's not so noticeable that you're like, oh, one of her eyes is really droopy or something, which is like, all right. And going into a potential negative read of the film then, because as we all know now, she is payment. Like payment has been in her body since she was born. Mm-hmm. So this would then imply that facial deformities are a result of demonic possession. Oh, boy. <laughs> also, um, I looked at, when I first looked at her, I was like, she looks like, not like, I mean, she looks strange because at this time, she looks like she would fit in another time. She mm. almost looks like one of those little cherubs, some little <laughs> cupids from like a 1700s or painting mm. or something like that. She looks like something off of, pa- well, not something, wow, someone from a painting, like an older film, like uh-huh, an older okay. painting. It's interesting you say that, though, because um, so she hasn't done any other film work besides this. But what, what got her her start was she was the American Broadway role of Matilda in Matilda the Musical on Broadway. Oh, what? Wow. I need to yep. see that. That means she's singing. I have to see that. Oh, yeah. Mm. So if you go buy the soundtrack right now, um, that is Millie Shapiro's voice in Matilda. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Come on, vocals. <laughs> yeah apparently she's like super talented it's just one of those things where i i think people don't quite know what to do with her in terms of film yeah no bueno well because i mean that's like matilda was 2013 this is 2018 uh and she hasn't really mm-hmm. oh i'm sorry she was a guest judge on the boulet brothers dragula in season three in 2019 wow. oh, there we go okay uh Okay, so we head to this funeral, and in case you weren't sure how to feel about the movie at this point in the runtime, Annie delivers one of the most uncomfortable, awkward eulogies you've seen on film in quite some time. Um, so yeah, she says, my mother was a very secretive and private woman. She had private rituals, private friends, private anxieties. It honestly feels like a betrayal just to be standing here talking about her. She was a very difficult woman to read. If you ever thought you knew what was going on with her and, God forbid, you try to confront that, 
But when her life was unpolluted, she could be the sweetest, warmest, most loving person in the world. She was also incredibly stubborn, which maybe explains me. You could always count on her to always have the answer. And if she ever was mistaken, well, that was your opinion, and you were wrong. (laughs) Yeah, that was so awkward. Especially because I've experienced, you know, the death of my mother. So the fact that she's not even crying, she's sitting up here talking, her voice Mm -hmm. isn't even cracking like that. I'm like, Descartes tried to call me up there, and I was like, girl, I'm not doing it. Don't even look at me. Right. Don't don't even. <laughs> so the fact that she got up there and then said what she said said a lot about their relationship oh, as a yeah. whole. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think I think you walk in expecting, oh, they were probably on okay terms, and it takes your your brain a minute to realize, oh no, even though she was living with them mm-hmm. um, in hospice care, basically they did not like it. I mean, they were she says they were estranged, right. um, and they were living together out of necessity, really, because the mom couldn't take care of herself. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where you almost wonder why she wouldn't have just sent her away to hospice or something like, you know what, I don't even want to deal with you, but we're left to wonder about it because the film will not fill in those blanks. But we do implicitly understand the nature of their relationship, and it was obviously very strained. See, I think the only reason they stayed there was because she mentions, which we'll get to in a minute in her grief counseling thing, she was not talking to her mom whenever the son was born, but then they had approach contact again when uh, Charlie was born. Mm-hmm. And so she, quote unquote, gave her Charlie. And I think that's why she couldn't get rid of her, because she had already formed a bond with Charlie. Right. Yeah, yeah, that does make sense. So speaking of Charlie, after this eulogy, we see Charlie in line to look at the body. And you'll note that Ellen is wearing a necklace with what will come to be a very familiar symbol. And we can also see a man in the background who is leering at Charlie. So she sits down and she begins to draw various images in her sketchbook. And we get the first of her telltale tongue pops. This man, the cult man that's staring at her, is creepy as hell. Red Very lecherous. <laughs> <laughs> also, he is the man that Peter will see naked in the doorway at the end of the film. Stressed. Oh <laughs> I'll just look into his eyes and feel stressed. Like, like I'll be feeling stressed. His eyes too big for me. <laughs> he also smiles aggressively. Like, oh, he's God, staring yeah. at you, not blinking, and smiling, and you don't know no. him. But it's like, he knows you and has been known you and has been staring at you. And you're like... Who the fuck is this? Please. Did y'all ever watch Friends when you were growing up? Yes. Okay, there is an episode where Ross whitens his teeth, and he wears the, the whitening strips for too long so they make his teeth, like, platinum white. And he goes on a date with this girl, keeps trying to hide his teeth, so she turns the lights out, but it's a black light, and his teeth glow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I've only seen a few episodes of Friends. Hi guys, I'm new. Because um, I didn't watch a lot of TV growing up anyway. Uh, but Same. Mm-hmm. I've never seen this episode, and I think that what you just told me, I'm like, I might have to go back and look at this, because what the... <laughs> that's funny. So it's a horror film, is what you're saying. Oh, yeah. Well, th- this guy's teeth within the dark, it looks just like Ross's teeth. Um, also, the girl he's dating in that episode is Missy Pyle. Oh, Missy. <laughs> <laughs> So after the funeral, we return home and we get a sense of the family dynamic. So interestingly enough, 
and he does question Steve, you know, should I feel more sad? Because she clearly doesn't actually know how she should feel about it. But um, yeah, we see her going back to work immediately. We see Steve checking on Peter. He's like strumming a guitar. And then Annie puts Charlie to bed and we get more sort of background story on the relationship between Grandma Ellen as well as Charlie. So Charlie was her favorite, but uh, Charlie protests and she says that Grandma always wanted her to be a boy. And this is the thing. Um, I'm sorry, really quick though, before this. So before they even walk into this house, um, we have a shot of the empty living room mm-hmm. before they walk in. You can hear footsteps upstairs because that's the cult members in the attic. Right. Um, so do y'all think, though, that the grandma was actually talking to Charlie about this ritual? Yes. I don't know if she was talking to her. She might have done things, but kids are per- very perceptive. So mm-hmm. she probably saw a lot of things going on and was like, oh, I see this. I see this. Or overheard because kids are nosy, not nosy. They're curious. Mm-hmm. So she might have even heard her discussing this, especially she's very close, so close where they discuss like grandma's trying to breastfeed her. So right. they're pretty close. She probably overheard some shit was like, she said I was trying to be a boy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just a thing, though, when it comes to, like, right, like the whole, oh, Charlie has been payment all along. So it's like, okay, so is there a Charlie that exists? Like, did Charlie mm-hmm. have a soul in the womb that was then taken over by payment? Or is Charlie always payment? And so, therefore, she's malevolent from the get-go. Or is she payment but doesn't know that she's payment? Yeah. She moves like she's unaware. I think she's payment and she doesn't know that she's payment. Like, I feel right. like she, like, knows something else is going on. But I don't think she is 100% aware, like, or it doesn't perceive to feel like, you know, she doesn't know exactly what's going on. I, mm-hmm. I mean, the red flag's there. She's fucking killing animals, bro. Like, <laughs> you gotta watch kids like that. And clearly no one's got their eyes on the baby that's, that's decapitated pigeons. Pigeons are the devil, so you're doing the Lord's work, but also <laughs> no red flag. Gotta go. Well, and I will say, too, I mean, given the fact that, you know, the whole point of this movie is that, you know, Payman is not happy with his female body, so we got to give him a male one. I do think that um, a lot of Charlie's mannerisms and behavioral patterns are also maybe in line with someone who has gender dysphoria. Right. I see the vision. I do see the vision. Also, because that's not the body that Payman wants, Payman probably is not turned all the way up in that body. He's not... He's not like taking all over, really taking control. He's probably in the backseat, kind of like popping oh, through, you know, because he, he probably already knows. He know that Meemaw about to fix him up with a new body. They've been playing right. this. They've been playing this. So he's like, I'm going to just sit back and wait until I get my new my new Bentley truck while I sit in this Volvo. I feel like, so I, again, I'm kind of filling in the blanks here because yeah, for me, I'm like, okay, well, why didn't they do the body switch earlier? Mm-hmm. And the only thing I come up with was that, yeah, maybe uh, uh, Ellen's dementia set in. Right. And and mm-hmm. they, they weren't able to do this. And so she was like setting all this shit up for when she died so they could start doing it. Yeah, yeah we had to go to plan B and... I was wondering on this rewatch, you know, we were talking about how obvious this man is at the funeral. And even later on, right? Like we see some of these cult members screaming at the kids from across streets. And you're just mm-hmm. thinking, yeah. that is not subtle. Like Joan is the only one who knows how to play this cool. And I, I wonder if it was like, okay, Ellen had everything in stride. And then, yeah, she gets dementia. She ends up dying. And the cult members have to figure out their shit. But also they need to get the family into a weakened state. And they decide, oh, Ellen's death is actually going to upset the family in a way that we can actually then sneak in. Yeah. 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 I also considered 
um, what if there is a because we don't know the whole ritual. What mm-hmm. if there's a time limit on it? What if right. you can only do it every certain amount of time because you have to do other stuff in between? What if thirteen? Because she's like what, like thirteen or something? She's 13. like, what if thirteen's like the popping age for that? You know, thirteen's okay. an interesting number. So I was like, hmm, maybe it's that. Though mm-hmm. that could also go into play because I don't know what all goes into the ritual as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is the fun, right? We get to speculate because, again, we have some details, but it's not really spelled out for us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Not to go too far ahead, but also, mm-hmm. like, to, like, this whole, like, what all is really the fuck going on. Um, when we <laughs> when we start, like, really getting close with, um, what's the girl? Is it Joan? Mm-hmm. Is that the friend? Yeah. yeah. So when we, when we start kicking it with Joan and Joan, like, you know, starts revealing what all they got going on, I'm just like, okay... Something in my spirit is telling me that you're you're doing the things you're doing because I feel like you was walking in the same shoes. Like all y'all really are trying your best to get all these people into people's bodies. Like, mm-hmm. you know, just not to give too much away for those who are like, oh, I'm still here. I ain't seen this shit, but I'm still listening. Oh, my God. No, um, spoil it. <laughs> here we go. What Joan is talking about, you know, trying to connect with um her possibly dead child because who really knows who you're talking to on the other side for real bitch talking to payment <laughs> exactly like, made up but then a part of it was like but well, maybe she did trying to sacrifice her kids you know payment and them they got me girl they sure. got me they tricked yeah. my ass <laughs> mm-hmm. oh i mean we all would have fallen for this trick right like <laughs> I definitely would have felt well, like Well, and like, that's the thing in which, because again, she knows Annie is, because Annie shows so much grief when Charlie dies that we were not seeing from her when her mother died. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Annie and her mother, she decides that she's going to go through some of these boxes of Ellen's stuff that she's got in the studio. And she finds an apology that notes that the sacrifices will be worth it. And of course, on a first time watch, you think, oh, okay, well, this is about their estranged relationship, the friction, the tension. And, you know, on subsequent rewatches, you realize, oh, Ellen doesn't give a fuck about you. It's all going to be worth it to bring Payman into the world. Well, so, okay, outside of, like, the whole gender thing that we'll talk about later, a part of the reason I could view this as a happy ending is that they're all in, I guess, hell, um, <laughs> rich as fuck, and living the good life next to the eighth king of hell. <laughs> That's one of my notes is, first of all, Meemaw did this for the bag, because it was like, okay, the conjurer, <laughs> no, it's literally the conjurer is sitting on a pile of gold in the book. Yeah. I was like, so everybody involved is doing this for the bread. So I'm like, right. the, what you would do for a check? You conjured a demon for a check? This mm-hmm. is out of control. Not just a demon, the eighth king of hell. So, um, A, I don't really know how the monarchy works in hell with eight <gasps> kings, but... I think it's after William and Harry, and then it goes somebody, 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 payment. <laughs> Wait, that's not a monarchy. Monarchy is just one. Is it an oligarchy? <laughs> Maybe they own like different sections. Like it's so big down there, I guess, or wherever it is. Certain you know, rings, certain yeah. levels of hell. Yeah. yeah. What, what Dante level are we on? Did we exactly. level up? <laughs> I think though in Dante, isn't it? Oh, it's nine circles of hell. Never mind. I think I was like, isn't it seven? I thought it was seven. <laughs> I read it a long time ago. It's been like twenty years nine. since I've read it. <laughs> uh, how many circles of hell? Nine. We have nine circles nine of hell. Circles. And all right. If we're, if we're saying the eighth king is with the eighth circle, the eighth circle of hell is fraud. So panderers and seducers. There we go. Flatterers, Scammers. sorcerers, and false prophets, liars, thieves, and um, specifically Ulysses and Diomedes. Yeah. <laughs> the circle Young. of scammers. These are your wow. people. <laughs> okay, but here's my question, y'all. 
we did this for the bag, but who the fuck is collecting the money? Like, well, I, well, okay, it's got to be afterlife I, I, shit, right? It's, it's afterlife. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but that's what I'm no. saying, though. So, so Ellen and like her whole fucking family, like again, you could also buy this as you know, well, it's a demon. He's not going to actually give them anything they want. He's a trickster. Sure. Um, but the people that are still alive worshiping payment, I'm like, what? How is this gonna? I want to see a sequel. <laughs> Are they going to hit at the casino? Like, what's going on? Well, presumably Payman would do something once he ascends in in the body, right? Mm. So I guess you would get something material out of that. If not, I guess it's just like naked treehouse orgies. I don't I mean, he, wow. fucker's still clicking his tongue, not speaking in that final scene. So who the fuck knows? He's got to learn how to work that tongue. Hey. <laughs> don't we all? <laughs> oh, God. Okay. A good jump scare here. So after Annie discovers the box, the apology note and all that kind of stuff, she does believe that she sees her mother's body in the darkness. But when she turns on the light, of course, it's not there. So this is something, too, that um, a theater viewing or a really good um, room to watch this in would really help. Because I will tell you, there are some things in the movie that, that use light specifically to reveal things. Mm-hmm. Of course, we all know Annie on the ceiling at the end, but there were so many times watching this on my TV, you know, in my living room with the daylight coming in where I was like, oh, shit, I'm missing right. so many of these things because of my the it's light in my bright. room or my TV. Yeah, it's too bright. So, yeah, just uh, uh, watch out with your TV settings when you're watching this one. I was going to say, this is not a daytime movie. This is a nighttime movie. Yep. <laughs> a scary nighttime movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. Okay, so we transition to the next day, and a bird flies into the window of Charlie's classroom, and then at recess, she cuts off its head as a woman stares at her from across the street. <laughs> as you do. See, I think in my first viewing, I thought a lot of this was hallucination. So, like, whenever, like, we have these cult members yelling at the kids from across the street, I was like, I think in my mind, I was like, well, this isn't real. This isn't mm-hmm. actually happening. No, no, no. It, it, it's happening. Well, you would be forgiven for thinking that because literally the opening of the film, I've seen some people infer that, oh, most of this movie doesn't actually happen because what we're really seeing are just scenes from the dioramas. Huh. I don't know if I buy that. Oh, I don't buy it at all, but I I can (laughs) understand why people would say it. Like that transition between artifice and reality and back again through all of Annie's work and even Charlie's work, right? Like Charlie is also arts and craftsy throughout this movie. Well, uh, yes. Sorry. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) There we go. Yes and me. (laughs) Okay. So uh, in Peter's class, he is not paying attention, but he should because we are talking about tragedies. And Peter, sweetie, you're living in one right now. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) He don't know because he has hell in class. He is smoking bowls in between them, which is so wild to me. That is how you get expelled. I need everyone (laughs) to know, doing drugs on the campus, you are not going to be able to go to no schools in that county, love. You need to put it away. Like, do you really think the teachers don't know that you're smoking up under the bleachers? You're probably within eyesight of the school. (laughs) Yes, and they can smell it. Definitely. (laughs) Be be it cigarettes or weed, like, yes, your body will reek of that smoke. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can't spray some cologne or some perfume on that shit. We can still smell it. Um, but this this scene is also when we basically get one of the theses of the film because we're talking about this Sophocles play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, oh, the characters don't have a choice. They have all the signs in front of them. They're ignoring the signs. It ends in tragedy. And the question asked is, you know, is it more tragic if they have a say in the matter or if they don't? And the love interest, this girl, um, which, by the way, Joe, we will recognize her. I did recognize her, but I could not remember from what. 
So she was the evil twin bitches in Pretty Little Liars Original Sin. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. She's got slightly darker hair here, but yes. Okay. Yes. I recognize her now. But her reply is, it's more tragic because if the characters have no choice, then the characters have no hope. Mm-hmm. They never had hope. They're all pawns in this horrible, hopeless machine. And ding, ding, ding. That is exactly what these characters are in. And it's funny because I used to think there was a thing where it was like, oh, like, if Annie just didn't do the seance, right. they would have been fine. It was it was her choice that did this. No, we would have found some other way. Well, everything Ari Aster has said has been like, no, 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 no. Like, it was going to happen no matter what. Right. So, again, that, that's what makes it more tragic, right? These people, they all have, they make all these choices, but no choice they could have made would have saved them from this fate. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the funny thing is, is, like, the signs are here. It's just that they're so used to living with them that it's like they don't even recognize it anymore. Because in, in the next scene, you know, Annie is locking up her mom's room. And we can clearly see that there is a fucking triangle on the ground like it's some kind of pentagram symbol or something and you're just thinking people are practicing witchcraft or satanism in your fucking house under your nose literally so i have a reason for the triangle by the way so triangles actually play a pretty big part in the conjuring of spirits and demons because it is i guess called solomon's seal um the symbol of king solomon and the symbol is comprised of triangles initially as a pentagram but now more commonly seen as a hexagram like the star of david But Solomon was the first person believed to have conjured a demon for personal gain, and he used his seal, the triangle, to do so. So this is why the triangle is so prominent in this film. Hmm. Okay. I'm just mad she's carved that triangle into them Goodwill floors. Like, y'all didn't y'all didn't realize she you can't be scraping that into the floors and you writing all on the wallpaper. We saw you. Okay. How are we gonna resell this house? <laughs> Well, and later in the film, when we see jo- the interior of Joan's apartment, um, where she's doing the ritual with like a photo of of Peter, mm-hmm. his photo was surrounded by a triangle. Yep. Mm-hmm. See, okay. Do y'all think that because like I don't think Annie's mom was that slick about this cult shit, y'all. I really think <laughs> it's dead ass been in her face this whole time, and yeah. because she ain't bang with her mom, she's like, I don't know what the fuck this bitch doing. I'm gonna just go over here and mind my business. My brother hates it here. We hate it here. I'm ready to get out. Like, I truly think that's what's going on because there is no way. There is no way you ain't never seen these people before. They were making it rain coins on her. Like, this is happening. (laughs) Then you get to the funeral and you like, girl, I ain't even seen all these people before. Ain't no fucking way. They been following you every day. It's jumping like that. It's 1130 and they left their man at home. This is too much. (laughs) Well, okay, but but, but, but I I agree with you. I I think all this was pretty blatantly obvious, but Annie was ignoring it. But I think the reason she's ignoring it is because of the group therapy scene we're about to get. I'm sorry, because of what we learn in the group therapy scene we're about to get. Right. Yeah, so Annie heads off to this grief recovery group. We we should note that Steve gets a phone call. We can't hear all the details, but we do hear something about uh, something being desecrated, but he does not tell Annie this at this point. So then, yes, uh, let's talk about this grief recovery group. So this is what Annie discloses at this, her very first meeting. Her mother had DID, her father was a psychotic depressive who starved himself to death, her brother was schizophrenic and died by suicide at 16 after blaming their mother for putting people inside him. This caused the estrangement between Annie and her mother, which obviously only came back into play when she had Charlie, and then Ellen eventually stabbed her hooks into Charlie. So... 
again, so this is like, okay, Ellen was trying to put payment in her son. He didn't mm-hmm. have schizophrenia. He, he, was, he was trying to fight demonic possession. Right. And his way out was to die by suicide, which prevented payment from gaining true form. And then she had, because that's the thing, right? Because Annie's like, I never wanted to be a mother. My mother, like, guilted me into having children. And so, mm-hmm. and the only reason she was doing that was so Annie would have a boy that could become payment. Oh, right. Uh, mm, 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 mm. This is terrible. <laughs> this is so bad. Yeah. It's one thing to guilt your child into having kids because you know people are, you should have a grandbaby, but mm-hmm. you guilted me to have a grandbaby so you could put a <laughs> king of hell inside of him. That is in, what? That's, that's, that's a five flag on the play. Tired. I just really hope they're all in hell living their good life. <laughs> I better be. I better be. Or I'm going to become a poltergeist or something because this is not going to stand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny, right? Because when people talk about this movie, they talk about how Annie is emblematic of bad motherhood. But if you think about it, she was always set up for failure. Ellen is the real bad mom of this movie. It's just that we don't ever get to know anything about her except what we learn through photos and documents and books and other things. It's hereditary. Yes, Trace. (laughs) (laughs) We're all pointing at the screen and saying, yes, okay, that's the title. You know what? Kudos to this movie, though. I don't think the word hereditary is ever uttered. I don't think so. No. Nope. Woohoo! I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Peter gets Chekhov's text about a party. And in the morning, we see that Charlie is working on her craft, but she gets distracted by a light on the wall that takes her outside. Folks, what do we think about the recurring light motif in the film? The blue light is like a guiding, like the devil guiding them. So that's mm-hmm. almost like that little pressure. It's like, you know, a little plumb bob on top of the Sims head. And you're, it's like you, you're clicking, like, go here, go here. <laughs> you're just telling them to go places and they kind of do their own thing once you direct them there. Because they don't control all of their actions. They still have, I'm quoting, free will. But mm. the free will is limited because you have free will inside of a box. You're never going to really get outside of this box. Ooh. You can do whatever you want, but you're going to be in this box no matter what you do. And that blue light has helped guiding you to, oh, stay in this box. Here you go. Go down this hall. Or like a video game where you try to go to the end. It was like, you can't go there because there's no more game board. <laughs> kind of like that. <laughs> Shout out to you because my dumbass thought that it was a light coming off of somebody's cell phone. Please. So I was like, okay, hold on. So first, like, I said, hold on, wait a minute. Like, maybe I looked down too fast. And I thought the characters thought the same thing, too. But then when the light was going, so I'm like, okay, someone's moving their watch. Like, what's happening? But that's not what was going on at all, which makes it even creepier. Because could you imagine? I don't know about y'all. Like, I insert myself in films on accident, maybe. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm like, damn, like, maybe they trying to figure out what all's going on. Maybe it got in their eyes. No, this is this is this is not it, baby. Dead ass. And like Jazz said, it's keeping them in a box. It's keeps leading them to the next thing. Like you think you're getting away, right. and now it's like ah, now I gotta chase a light. Oh, what's going on? Ah, mm. they're like cats with a <laughs> laser pointer, right? <laughs> go right. here, go there. And I'm just like, this is just. And once again, like I said, my dumb ass would be like, what's going on? <laughs> what, where are we going, guys? After a while, I'd be like, oh, this thing went down the hallway. This is not a watch. I'm, maybe I should pay attention. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, even in one scene, he's in the hallway, Peter's in the hallway, and that blue light comes down. And mm-hmm. he looks down the hall. He doesn't even do this. He looks down the hallway, but then someone, like, showed, like, come here, come in here. Like, right. he's being guided. So I'm like, uh uh-uh, uh, this light is, mm, this is great intervention, demonic <laughs> intervention, unfortunately. I guess 
Because Charlie's still alive at this time, though. So we have, because mm-hmm. the, the light is payment. So I guess he's just a little astral projector. Yeah. Well, he's definitely manipulating things throughout the film, even like when Charlie's dead or when he's sort of taking residence in Peter, because you have to assume all of the stuff with the seance is payment manipulating things to get any right. into the right order, right? Mm-hmm. I think so. Okay, so in case you didn't understand that there was a little bit of tension between mother and son, we do have Annie and Peter bickering about his ability to borrow the car for this party coming up, and she asks him if he's going to be drinking, and uh, eventually she does end up ordering him to take his sister to the party, and when she discovers Charlie outside without shoes or a jacket, she's like, okay, you know what? (laughs) You kids need to go away. Mama needs some wine time. But we should note that Charlie has gone outside in part because she did see Ellen surrounded by a ring of fire. So I always thought this is hallucination, but I actually think this is Ellen's corpse because there's an an overhead shot of Charlie um, walking in in this forest. Mm -hmm. And if you look closely, there are footprints all on this path heading towards Ellen's corpse. Oh, okay. So you think the cultists have like come out of the attic Mm. and then trudged the corpse down here set this all up i guess well because she still has her head at this point right so i don't even know if she's necessarily in the attic yet i mean yes we heard mm. their footsteps earlier but th- the only thing where i'm like but how does annie see this shit because there's literally a bunch of flames in her corpse right you could i was gonna say rub that off that's not correct um <laughs> you could excuse that as well as jazz and cat y'all were saying all this stuff has been in front of her face the entire fucking time and she has ignored it or just willingly not seen it. Mm-hmm. And that includes this corpse surrounded by fire in the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah. Also, I think that when they later find the body in the attic, I feel like they're out there with like muddy footprints. Like there's some kind of footprints yeah. up there. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they do they do this shortly after this. Like right. she's already laying down or something else. The kids are out of the house. Maybe they kind of got the body up there because clearly they got the keys. They clearly got oh. the keys from mom. These people are walking in and out of this house at their own will, like, willy-nilly. Like, it is ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, the house is so fucking big. And clearly, I mean, I feel like what we see of the family is that they are so disconnected and almost disaffected from their own lives that they seem to have no idea what is going on in this, frankly, house-porny house. Because this house <laughs> is giant and they never seem to interact because they're all doing their own thing all the time. Yeah. They are. Okay, so Peter heads off to this party with Charlie, and he wants to flirt with the twins from Pretty Little Liars, and (laughs) he also wants to uh, maybe smoke, so he sends Charlie to go and eat cake. So, hey, two things. Um, A, if you were in high school, would your parents ever make you bring your 13-year-old little sibling to a high school party with you? Because I feel like that's the exact opposite of what any parent would do. My mama wouldn't let me go. She wouldn't let me go. Right. B, what high school party have you been to where these kids are making a cake? They're not. Unless it's, we- unless it's fueled with weed. Wow. <laughs> but, but actively chopping up walnuts <laughs> at this alcohol-fueled party so to make a walnuts. chocolate cake. <laughs> so many walnuts. Like, somebody had a fucking fetish. <laughs> They're cultists. Some One of those had, one of them got to be looking for payment, too. They did that on purpose. Like one a, of ju- a junior cultist. My yeah. job is to kill Charlie via the nuts. Yep, I'm going to offer her this cake. Also, I want to <laughs> say something about Annie's passive-aggressiveness. Like, that's some passive aggressive 
parenting shit. Mm-hmm. I don't really want you to go to this party because I think you might drink. So instead of just saying, no, you can't Ooh. go, instead mm-hmm. of calling you an Uber so you don't drive drunk, instead of uh, dropping you off, because that's what my mom would do. Like, yeah, yeah you can go yeah. to this party, but I'm going to drop you off and pick you the fuck up. So then, you know, I'm going to see what's right. going on. And also you'll get safe. So even if you do make a bad choice and you drink, you're not going to be driving home. Right. Also, why the fuck does um, Charlie not have a EpiPen nowhere? This is okay. right. this is wild. That okay? is the question. But but that's when we get into the whole like this like grand design type thing, right? Because when they drive to this party, we see the payment sigil on a pole, the pole that will decapitate Charlie. Mm-hmm. And so it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I mean, it would have made sense for her to have a goddamn EpiPen in her god in her in her knee length like hoodie that she's wearing. <laughs> But no, it's can't because she has to die. It is fated to happen that she will die. So uh, Murphy's Law, everything that could go wrong will go wrong. She will not have an EpiPen. She will eat a goddamn uh, uh, nutty cake. Peter will be stoned off his ass. (laughs) Yes. Right. And he's going to drive, which for me, because we do EpiPen training at my job every year, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have even driven. I would have driven a little bit away from the party and called an ambulance. That's it. Yeah. Wouldn't even drove. Do yeah. you really think that you're going to be a better, faster driver than an ambulance? Nope. Well, but he's a clearly, Peter yeah, is not go. in his right mind at this point. <laughs> and teenagers do anything. They sure. have self-legend. Like, that. that is a real thing. Like, teenagers believe that all the bad things happen to other people, not mm-hmm. me. So that's why they will do parkour off a fucking building, thinking they're not going to break their ankles. <laughs> that's why they're going to speed and play chicken and get drunk and drive or, right. you know, have sex with no protection and or think they won't get the pregnant. Back of a cruise ship. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I know y'all saw that. Yeah, they'll do all that stuff because they think they're going to be okay. And that is literally documented self-legend. I'm going to mm-hmm. be able to do this thing. The bad things happen to other people, not me, though. And I'm right. like, but it is you. You're going to be a statistic in the numbers. Honey, please don't. I mean, I felt like it took me until my mid-20s to realize that bad things could happen to me. And, and it's not because I was a narcissist who thought that I was better than everybody else. It was just like, oh, I'm young. Bad things don't happen to young people like illnesses, injuries. That happens to other folks. And then, yeah, you just realize, oh, no, it literally can happen to anybody. Like, I was working at a video rental shop and this like super fit woman would come in all the time. And she told me that she was training for a marathon, but she was recovering from a heart attack. And she disclosed that she was 25 years old. What the fuck? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was like, wait, you can have a heart attack at that age? And she was like, yeah, 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 you can. You know, see, my my grandfather died when he was 55, but it was his fifth or fourth heart attack. And my dad lived his entire life just thinking because of hereditary mm-hmm. <laughs> genes and shit, that he was going to die before he was 55. Sure. He's he's now 60-something, so he, he survived. There you go. <laughs> but so it your is dad wild, made a deal right? with Heyman, is what we're saying, and he is oh, reaping no. the rewards. Man, I have yet to see those rewards, so... <laughs> Where are my coins? <laughs> you better be on the lookout. You might get possessed. Trace, are there any triangles on the floor near you, is what no, we're saying? No, 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 no. Is there Santony on the wall? <sighs> Santony, Liftoach, Pandemonium. <laughs> oh my god. Um, all this to say, in the meme of the century, Charlie is decapitated by a pole while trying to breathe by sticking her head out of the car. I've gotta say, this scene still hits really fucking hard. It does. I didn't think that was gonna happen. I'm sitting in the movie theater like, oh, she's gonna, you know, die of fixation. Like she's gonna, you know, start swelling up because I have a food <laughs> allergy. I'm allergic to shellfish. 
right? And cat knows that anytime, anytime anybody eats shrimp within oh my 10, God, 10 meters of me, hey, get in here. She'll literally, she'll be, get out of here. You can't be in here. They're gonna, you're gonna die. And I'm like, I'm just not what's gonna happen. She's like, it's not airborne. And I'm like, get the fuck out. Get out of here. Please. I told my partner, make sure you bleach everything. I do not want to kill Jasmine. Please. Oh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna die. Have you ever seen Broad City? I've seen no. some episodes. So Alana Glazer's character has a shellfish allergy in it, but they go to this really fancy restaurant and it's like really expensive, but they have like a free pass to it. <laughs> and Alana Glazer like knows she's allergic to shellfish, but she keeps eating it because she's like, no, it's too much money. I'm good. I know my limit. And her face is like exploded like five times inside. <laughs> you never know your limit because you may have a different reaction every time. Me and my brother, it's hereditary. He is also allergic to shellfish. And he decided to eat like a bushel of crabs with his friend. Oh, Man, no. they they had to literally wheel him into the ER because oh, he's no. taking his clothes off because he's sweating and swelling up at the same time because oh. he's an idiot. Um, <laughs> but also, <laughs> like, that's why you need an EpiPen. You cannot eat the... And at 13, mm. I teach them that age, they know they're allergic. They check right. and be like, hey, I can't have gluten. I can't have this. But payment, you know, payment said, go ahead, eat that cake, baby. Yeah, payments like this is my get out of jail free card, by which I mean my get out of Charlie free card. <laughs> Sometimes it just tastes so good. Right, my husband's allergic to avocado, and I found a guacamole wow. that was fucking amazing, and he just kept eating it. Oh no! <laughs> and I was like, Andrew, aren't you allergic? He goes, Yeah, but it's fine. It's too good. I'll, I'll get over it. <laughs> no, it's never fine. I'm also allergic to avocado, and I found out because our friend made us a really nice guacamole. And I was, like, I'm fucking it up. It's great. Ooh, my lips is itching. Like, is it the hot sauce? Like, what's going on? <laughs> no baby it's me and when i was eating uh, what was it sushi i was like no no i'm dying like it's natural filler now <laughs> my lips are just super plump but i look so good like i was like, <laughs> that's that's the thing in broad city she's like oh it's okay i look really sexy when i have my allergic reaction <laughs> oh my god kids do not try this at home good inventors you are gonna die please you don't will do die. that Live if you have sex is. you will die if you eat cake you will die if you have shellfish you will die but i i will say that you're right Joe. this this scene does like so the way i first heard about this movie was i read back when the ab club was still good i read aa dowd's review of this out of sundance and i remember in the first paragraph he's not trying to give away too much and he's like at the end of act one something horrible unspeakable happens to this family and so i spent like the next five or six months being like well what is it what could it possibly be <laughs> well you don't think they're gonna kill this girl you think that ariaster is setting her up to be the bad seed she is a dark child she's gonna wreak havoc on this family oh fuck she's dead one act into this movie well and it's funny if you watch the trailer all the grief that Tony Clutch showing in the trailer is over Charlie mm -hmm. but the trailer makes it look like it's over her mother's death right yeah which then you get into the movie and the first scene of her is basically, oh, my mom and I didn't have a good relationship. <laughs> Never mind. Surprise! <laughs> we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... 
That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, so I will say I don't think people give Alex Wolf enough credit for his performance in this mm. film. I think he does such a masterful job in the aftermath of Charlie's death, where he is just sitting in this car, silently crying, reassuring himself that he's okay, driving home very slowly, and then he just can't process what has happened, so he just goes to bed and doesn't wake up until Annie is screaming her fucking head off because she has discovered the body of her daughter in the car. Okay, but the directing choice that I love here is that we stay with Peter this mm-hmm. entire time. So we don't we don't get to see Annie go to the car. We don't get to see Annie find Charlie's headless corpse. Mm-hmm. We just look at Alex Wolf's head. So I agree with you, Joe. Yeah, he doesn't get enough credit because this is all... It's all him. This mm-hmm. entire sequence is just him. And even, like, when you hear her wailing outside, which you're just waiting for it, it's just like, you have to sit with him, and it's so uncomfortable. Yeah. And then, of course, we get the smash cut to Charlie's decapitated head on the Oof. side of the road, covered in ants. That, oh, oh, the, and the ants happen more than more than once. And yeah. I'm like, I love when we find new things that are scary. So I'm like, a bunch of ants piled up like that is very creepy. Mm-hmm. And I saw that today outside. Just it was like <laughs> thousands of ants for no reason outside my job. I'm like, Charlie, you out here. <laughs> Is there a head under there? Mm-mm, I'm going. I'm going inside. Nope, none of my business. <laughs> Jazz is like, okay, I'm not going to smoke under those bleachers today. <laughs> no. Nope, and I will not eat any cake with nuts in it. Although I do not have a nut allergy. No, nope. you will die. You will die. <laughs> Okay, so um, Annie is not done screaming or wailing or asking to die because that's what she's doing all night long as Steve tries to comfort her and the camera just kind of slowly moves over and there's Peter in the hall just listening because he can't face his parents. And that happens. Mm -hmm. I mean, her just wailing, I just want to die, it hurts too much, I just need to die is just... it's horrible it hurts and then it also hurts that peter feels good he clearly feels guilty right Mm. but he feels for his mother but he can't comfort her because that means he has to face her and be like because you know you know what you did even though it was an accident bro you Mm. you have some like you you have some accountability in this although you didn't make her eat the cake or none of that but you technically are responsible because you're an older sibling and i'm an older sibling as well you're responsible when they're with you bad stuff happens to them even if you didn't cause it you're gonna feel a little tinge of oh man i should have done this this and this Mm -hmm. you rethink everything you should have done and this is like the worst possible outcome ever Mm -hmm. yeah what would you do like what would you do i mean he is in shock like i find everything about his reaction to this and the way he handles it incredibly believable oh it's so realistic i would have died i ain't gonna hold y'all i too would just crash the car because i'm not going home (laughs) it's not happening you think i'm about to go home and face this shit hell no run away maybe i'm going to canada Bro, I would have called the police so I could get arrested, and I would have lived my life in jail away from my parents. I'm Ooh. sorry. I'm. Oh, I have no, I locked I me up that. instead. I can't go home. I could never go home. You got to face mm-hmm. all of your family, not just your parents, okay, but their yep. family's small. But you got to face your aunties, your cousin, 
you did this, bro. Like, mm-hmm. oh man, no. Send me to prison and ship me off to another state. Child, now they talk about you in the group chat. Uh, <laughs> at the family cookout. They you can't get no plates. You can't show up. You That's access. the boy that decapitated his sister. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. It's like, oh, this guacamole is real good. I gotta watch my lips. They're pumping up, but also <laughs> there's the boy who killed his sister. <laughs> Peter, Peter, yeah. Okay, so Peter is obviously not doing well. He basically just spends a bunch of time in bed. We do get to see the creepy image of the light in the treehouse glowing red, and you think, ooh, demonic, something supernatural is happening. No, it's just Annie sleeping in the treehouse with the heaters on. Because she missed her baby. Mm-hmm. So she out there with the blanket, she can't sleep, and she just do anything. Now, I ain't got no kids, so I don't know how that is. But she is <laughs> grieving. And of course, like y'all said, this is the first time you really see her. Like she is she's not she's crying every day. She's even when she goes back yeah, even when she goes back to that therapy session or that counseling session, a grief set counseling session, she's crying in the car. She's like, mm-hmm. Ooh, like it's a lot. Okay, so actually, I, I'm I'm glad we're moving into that though because okay, so this is when we meet Joan. But yes, and Dowd, motherfucking MVP, come on down. But okay, so here's the thing. So Tony Collette, it's it's when she says, "My daughter was killed." If you watch Tony Collette when she delivers this line, right after she delivers it, she kind of like checks herself, and it's almost like it's the first time she said that and believed it. Right. It's really, really like, it's subtle, but it's such a good moment for Collette. But anyway, but yes, Anne Dowd, Queen of the World. I think <laughs> I think this is the movie that really put because anyway, Anne Dowd has been a character actress for Forever. decades. Yeah. But I feel like this is the movie that put her in like popular culture. I can't say for sure because I I mean, Trace, you and I knew her from Compliance. Yeah. Ooh, Jazz Cat. Have you seen Compliance? I watched that within the last 365. That's the one Ooh, about the manager okay. the true life story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was her because I'm terrible with knowing actors. I have to see you in like five different movies where I'm like, okay. oh, that's that oh, person. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, if Cat knows, I'm like, yeah, you that's the same person. I called <laughs> Robert Pattinson Harry Potter. He is not Harry Potter. Him, Elijah Wood, and um, actual Harry Potter. I call them all Harry Potter. But when you put them next to each other, they don't look like each other at all. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, no, that's not him. <laughs> My God, Jazz, you have like white male actor facial blindness. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think it's just them. <laughs> the compliance thing is really funny, though. So if you don't know what compliance is about, it's, it's it's based on a very true story about like a fast food place who got a call from a quote unquote police officer saying, hey, someone in your place is stealing money. Do all this stuff to prove that they're stealing things. Mm-hmm. Um, Leave it at that because the rest of the movie is so fucking good. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I remember seeing it in theaters. A, my husband was so mad. I was like, well, that's the point. Um, B, so many people were like, well, that one was so stupid. No one would ever do that. And then you're like, everyone would do it. Well, when you read the true story, you're like, oh, but someone did do that. Mm -hmm. And not just one. one If you read about it, there's, like, four or five incidents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That person kept calling. So, big recommend to compliance if you've never seen it. But it is not what I would call an easy watch. Oh, God, no. No, it's stressful. And Dowd shows up in stuff like this. So so I feel like I really saw her breaking out in The Leftovers. She's in season mm-hmm. one of The Leftovers. And she's basically, I mean, she, she often plays characters like this where they're either syrupy sweet and they're hiding a malicious intent yeah. or they are just absolute villains, right? Like, you know, I think a lot of people actually trace would know her from The Handmaid's, Handmaid's Tale. Tale. Yeah. 
I have not seen that yet. First season is amazing. The rest of it is like, this is a limited series you stretched out for six and a half years. Well, I will say, everyone, for Anda, for a recent film that went under the radar last year, but you should all go see Mass with Andout. Yes, okay. I think we talked about it on Elephant. Yes, 100%. Very okay. good. Amazing. She's great. Okay, I'm going to put that in my um, in my pocket. Okay. I didn't listen to Elephant because I have not seen Elephant. And it's not a horror movie. I mean, it's, no. it's a drama through it's and through. It's a drama. But okay. like it's it's just like again like it's like the the hardest conversations you would think would happen between these two sets of parents mm-hmm. do happen and it's fascinating to watch mm-hmm. and and out is the mother of the shooter yeah wow and it was and it was written and directed by Fran Kranz Fran Kranz, uh, aka the stoner guy from Cabin in the Woods. Wow. Okay. okay. I yep. did not know that. I will be putting that on my list for the summer because that's when I catch up because I have way more free time. Well, pair it with Elephant for a really oh good, depressing double feature. <laughs> I, was say, okay. I, I cried my way through Mass. I was so upset the whole time. It's movie. very sad, yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. So we're introduced to Joan, as we've been talking about, and Dowd. And Joan reassures her that the group do make you feel less lonely. But just in case, she gives Annie her number. She's so disarming, though, in all of her scenes. Like... I don't know. Like when you first saw this, because we didn't really have the Andowd type yet in 2018, but now we do. So when we see Andowd, as you said, Joe, we're kind of primed to be like, oh, what's wrong here? I don't know. Did y'all know there was something wrong from the get go with this character? No. Okay. So I already think something is going on in general, but mm-hmm. for this particular character, once again, they got me. I would have been like meeting my demise from the cult, dead ass, because <laughs> like she would have pulled up. I don't really fuck with strangers like that, anyways. Like right. I might look like a people person, but my face gives RBF, so I'm still trying to figure out why y'all talking to me. <laughs> so even if I was at the event, like, girl, why are you? Why are you here? Like, why are you talking to me? Like, can we just go? I don't know, but I do understand that you know people like to connect when when they're experiencing a lot of trauma or trying to work through things. You know, just trying to reach out and reach out to touch somebody's hand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, she she got me. I, I mean, but what, what really turned me away immediately was, hey, I'm communicating with dead spirits. Right. I'm like, all right, we're gonna pack this up. Like, right. I don't. If there's a Ouija board in here, I'm leaving. Like, it's not yeah. happening. <laughs> so, no. But that was time number two. The first time she she eased her way in. Right. She's like, hey, I saw you last time. Um, and she was so sweet. Like, mm. oh, yeah. And I, what happened? And then she didn't end. What's really fucked up is, you know, at the end, she knows everything that's going on. So she's oh, going, sure. oh, how, how are your kids doing? She's acting like she doesn't know that the daughter has passed away. Bitch, you set this shit up. Okay? You did. And so she's like, oh, yeah, that my daughter passed. She's like, oh, my son and grandson passed too. If you need anything, here's my number. Mm-hmm. You slick-ass, scamming-ass bitch. You are Joanne the Scammer. Joni the Scammer. <laughs> yes. That's who she is. <laughs> I mean, that's why she's down in that eighth level of Dante's hell. <laughs> Literally. Well, because I always because she's like she's the mom's second in command. Like I always viewed yes. her as like, oh yeah, she she's like the next in line. She's the lieutenant. Well, because Lee is Queen Lee. I'm sorry, Queen Ellen Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have to assume that Joan takes her mantle once she passes. Sure. Yeah, Joan is the one who's been orchestrating all of this stuff to make sure it comes to play. Mm-hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about the trip to Joan's apartment. So. There's a couple of scenes in between where Annie is still sleeping in the treehouse. She's having difficulty connecting with Steve. Peter's obviously still not doing super well. He is hearing the tongue pop in the middle of the night. 
But then when Annie is diligently at work, she discovers Joan's number, so she decides to pay her a visit. Well, she she discovers Joan's number because Payman knocks over paint onto the paper holding Joan's number. Right. Yes. Like, and I thought she knocked it over, and she did not. That oh, no, paint she fell not. the hell over just by <laughs> itself. But you think, because that's how she reacts. She doesn't even notice that it fell over on its own. She like, yeah, she assumes oh, oh she shit. Did it. Mm-hmm. And I would have too, because I watched the first two, three times, I thought she knocked it over. She did mm-hmm. not. It's so well-crafted, right? Your mind fills in the gap to say, oh, she knocked it over. Yeah. But no, she didn't. Yeah, you you can see it just tip over by itself. It's great. But again, her, she like reaches, she's reaching for something, so she fills in that gap. Mm-hmm. So at Joan's apartment, she notices the welcome mat has very familiar embroidery, very similar to her mother's, as we'll come to learn. Okay, wait, she says, though, my mom used to embroider, like, welcome mats just like that. It's like, "Mm, well, they were just like that. Like, literally that. (laughs) Just that one. (laughs) They're like, oh, payment. Is Army going to be fun being rich and shit while they're embroidering their fucking welcome mats? Once again, (laughs) the shit is in your face. (laughs) <laughs> every fucking day and you're just like i'm tired of living and dealing with this mess so i'm gonna just turn my eyes off this yeah. don't make no sense that's yeah. how i felt she did she was she was so like not tuned in that if she was paying attention immediately she would have got to the door and said something's not right yes yes well it's because joan's response to it is oh isn't that funny <laughs> right deflect 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 <laughs> Okay, I don't, I don't want to be triggering because I know that this is a, a much more challenging film to people of color. But do you think that this payment group is kind of like the group from Soft and Quiet where they just get together and they're embroidering mats and being like, we're going to fuck up people's lives real bad. Listen, I'm going to look at Jazz because Jazz and Charade told me to okay. skip over that. And, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> and I did not. I, I, I watched it all because I'm the person who was like, I do care how offensive it is, but I will watch it all the way through so I can make points about it. So I can't be like, oh, I turned it off. You know, people are like, you turned it off so you can't mm-hmm. get the... Ah, ah, ah. I watched it. I don't feel it's quite like that, but it's still malicious in that way where, like, you see the pictures, they're eating cookies mm-hmm. and shit. They're mm-hmm. like, y'all, y'all, this is a potluck. Y'all bringing snacks to bring this demon forth? Yep. This is how malicious it is. It's just not about, you know race or anything y'all are just like oh we're about to get these riches no matter who we hurt we're gonna get what we want by conjuring this demon and they're doing these most like the things that would seem innocent i wonder if they're like making bracelets and shit they're probably (laughs) singing songs braiding each other's hair making salads and shit joan did you bring that fucking shrimp platter i told you i'm allergic to shellfish (laughs) damn it make sure we keep it away from everything else fuck you can't touch anything we definitely need the charcuterie board. Yes, <laughs> charcuterie. Mm-hmm. Charcuterie. <laughs> yes, I love saying charcuterie. Same. <laughs> so one note that I did have about the welcome mat, I'm going to briefly bring in a outside source. So Carl Lewandowski wrote a piece called The Shape of the Devil for Unwinnable. And the piece does go into some of the trans readings of the Charlie-Peter relationship. I don't agree with a lot of the points that Carl is making, but I did like this particular quote. So he says, occupation of and thriving in liminal spaces is a queer trait. Several moments in the film thrive on liminality, including the motif plot device of welcome mats, the front steps outside the group therapy session, 
open car doors and windows and the open walls of Annie's miniatures, as well as the moments of hesitation at the attic ladder. So I kind of like that we're finding... Like, the film does seem to live in these unusual spaces where we're sort of transitioning between inside, outside, Mm -hmm. cars, open spaces, and so on. And I thought that that was an interesting piece as we sort of start to build our queer reading for the film. Yeah. Okay, I like that little piece. That was new for me. So, um... Yes, Annie goes inside, Joan makes her tea. We should note that there is a brief shot of Annie discovering something in the bottom of the tea glass. So she kind of like picks it out and she's like, oh, gross, what is this? And then she puts it away and I'm like, oh, she's drugging you, bitch. Uh, So I've actually got this, though, because here's the thing. It's like a black tea leaf. Mm -hmm. The aforementioned photo that I mentioned earlier, where it's like, oh, yeah, Ari Aster has this thing where it's a photo on a wall. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a clue. But like, we see it on screen for a second. Right. Um, We see a collage maybe it's earlier in the film than this, but we see a shot of the grandmother feeding a a bottle of milk to baby Charlie. Mm -hmm. And in that bottle, it's all black liquid. And it is this black tea leaf. Okay. Now we don't know what it does, but it's linked. Yeah. And when I first saw it, and if they didn't zoom in the way they zoomed in, right? Mm -hmm. That's where the camera work comes in. It would just because when you make loose teas or something like that, or you sure. if you're not doing tea bags, then of course sometimes you're just gonna yeah. have some leaves at the bottom, and that happens. That's probably why she didn't react mm-hmm. immediately because it's not like oh this would be unusual. That's what makes it so scary. This is usual having yeah. a tea leaf. That's not scary. You're not gonna think it's a drug, but no, you're you. I don't know what you put in here, but you put some demon juice in here, and I don't yeah. trust you. <laughs> it, it's something to like prime you for whatever ritual they're about to do. But this is sure. also when we learned that Annie had like slept, walk and almost bur- immolated her children. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah. I, I love how we just fold these weird confessionals that are deeply personal and often very upsetting into Annie's character. Like she has so much difficulty relating to people, but when it comes to tragedy, she will just open that trap up and be like, yeah, let me tell a room full of strangers about how I almost lit my kids on fire. Yeah. But uh, here's the thing though. Don't y'all think that this is like, like something inside of Annie who is like, you shouldn't have these kids because it's going to lead to something bad. Mm hmm. And which is why she was subconsciously trying to burn Peter alive. Right. That definitely could be yep. it. Because when she says in a dream later, she's like, I was trying to save you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. it's like, okay, you were probably trying, like, something in you was like, hey, hey, maybe it was your guardian angel trying to fight with payment. Like, girl, I know this sounds wild, but take these kids out because something bad is going to happen to them. And it does. It does. So I'm like, oh, no, please. Yeah. The better alternative would have been to burn them alive, apparently. (laughs) It would have. When you think about it, possibly. Also, Mm -hmm. I feel as though she's so disconnected from her family. You don't see her calling no homegirls. That's why I think friendship (laughs) is essential. She's Mm -hmm. not calling no friends. So when she gets these moments to be vulnerable, she it's like it's spilling out of her mouth that she says these things because she's probably never even got to say these things out loud to other Mm -hmm. people outside of her immediate right. family i don't really think she has friends no no she's a workaholic no, no. she yeah. pours everything she has into these fucking dioramas uh-huh. which she's not working on by the way i mean she is but she's not 
Well, yeah, she's I mean, ruining lives. With she's it. late. <laughs> she's doing extracurriculars because we haven't talked about the fact that she makes one that literally recreates the scene of her daughter's death. And Steve oh, is like, Lord. what in the actual fuck? This is therapeutic. I, I believe this is therapeutic. Is. But I, I will say, um, so right before this is, is when Gabriel Byrne's Irish accent really comes out in this movie. Like it is not hidden at all because Peter walks in and he's like, can you do this SAT prep course? Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And Gabriel Byrne's like, yeah, better do that because it's coming up <laughs> it does and that's some teenage shit <laughs> like hey you need to do this thing because the day that's gonna pass i'm gonna do it stop procrastinating <laughs> the sat prep is important guys that's for anybody listening sat prep is important <laughs> yeah i mean i will say one one thing that i really like about the movie is how it tries to like steve is not an interesting character i feel a little bad for gabriel burn because he doesn't really get to do much in the film and yet he is the kind of constant, right? He's the normal person in this family where everyone else is in a horror film. Here's Steve saying, hey, son, don't forget about SATs because, you know, you need to get into a good college as though we're not all going to be dead in a couple of days. I, I, I will defend the Gabriel Byrne character in this movie, though, because I've seen people even not, not even... I, doesn't have much to do. Absolutely. Kind of boring. Absolutely. But mm-hmm. I have seen people go on to him about he's a bad person he's a bad father he's a bad husband and i'm like why all the shit he has to deal with in this movie like when he breaks down in the car it is such a raw genuine emotion like everything has caught up to him and it's hard yes yes i mean he doesn't have much to do because he's he's literally the glue trying to hold all this together Mm -hmm. and it's it's like what what do you do what do you tell someone who what do you tell your son who accidentally killed his child what do you tell your wife who just lost her estranged mother and just lost the child one of the children she shouldn't love the most like it's Mm. there's no right way to do that (laughs) it isn't you know what he does he's like i made dinner Yes. yes he's doing he's picking people up he's you know handling the calls with the cemetery and keeping certain white lies he's like you know mm-hmm. even you see him emailing later like i think i think andy's about to have a breakdown i think i think we need yeah. to do something yeah. about this but that's the thing though is like yeah, I, and maybe i'm reaching too far here but he is playing the role that traditionally would be the female role in a similar film yeah. that was made let's say 30 years ago whereas it would be the man who was in annie's role trying to like figure all the shit out right yeah i see mm. the vision i definitely I do. do and that's why i feel so bad like <laughs> when we see what finally happens i'm like oh this is a bunch of bullshit i can't believe they said that he was like the worst character what yeah. He is like doing his best. Did we see the and he's same doing movie? better. He's doing better than me because I I don't know how I would have handled it, but I would have had no. to cut Andy out days ago. <laughs> I'd yeah. I'd still be in bed. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's grieving too. Well, mm-hmm. he's also the one holding Andy when she's like, I just want to die. Please kill me. Right. I want to die. <laughs> <laughs> and he's okay with her when she randomly goes out into the cold nights to sleep in the treehouse because she can't be next to him. Yep. Yep. But all it, it doesn't matter because all of this culminates into what might be the centerpiece of the film, which is this dinner scene monologue. Mm-hmm. My favorite scene. Ooh, Lord. So I feel like this is the scene, Trace, where you and I decided, okay, we want to do awards for the podcast. What should we call them? Who gave an iconic performance that is absolutely going to go unrecognized? Lo and behold, this dinner sequence unfurls and uh, look, we get the hereditaries as a result. Yeah, I I have seen this monologue printed on a t-shirt in all Mm -hmm. of its glory and just people wear it. And I'm like, you know what? Yes. 
I want that shirt. <laughs> where are they selling it? Hold on. Because I need a link. Because I would wear this. And I would wear it proudly. I would accessorize it. I would wear a whole outfit. I would wear a full face of makeup with this shirt on. I would. <laughs> so what do we think of the the truth telling or the harshness of this? Because I do feel like people zero in on this particular sequence and say, oh, between her trying to burn her children alive and then what she says to her son here, she is a bad mom. Oh, fuck them. Because first of all, all right, do she need to be talking to the kid like that? But no, but also he's been avoiding her the whole time. They've never dealt with any of thing that they like she tried to set him on fire he remembers that they've been fighting back and forth and then mm-hmm. this situation happened with charlie there is so much pent-up resentment and yes. anger and grief disappointment but also love mixed in because at the same time when they get to that dinner table they look at each other and as soon as peter goes hmm this is good she's <laughs> chuckling like huh, bitch are you serious are you talk about this chicken and you're not like bitch and then he's like like say something mom and you know teenagers and parents bump heads a lot that is one of the most difficult times because teenagers are feeling really big emotions and mm-hmm. they know how to verbalize them and sometimes the they, they say the truth and it fucking hurts and they cut mm-hmm. so when he's like say something mom say it then you know you know you got something on your chest and he's right you have something on your chest mm-hmm. get it off your chest because you keep you know you keep he was like fucking cussing at her and first of all i don't know if y'all have ever cussed at your mama i've never cussed at my mama because no. i wouldn't be alive pumpkin would have taken me the fuck out and you know you shouldn't be just taking your children out because they cuss at you once but <laughs> i ain't even try it he cussed at her and when she stood up and said don't you curse at me you little shit i said well <laughs> you you got what the fuck you asked for because that's that's Here she for goes. me that's common although that's not the best way to probably handle that no, but under no. the pressure of everything that's happening i think that's tame because if it was my mama she would have rocked my jaw at the fucking table she would have hit my ass. She would have looked. I would have been on the floor. I would have woke up, and my daddy would have been trying to tell me what happened. That's she's like, girl. yeah, you said something to your. You shouldn't have cussed at her. I don't know why you said that, but she witnesses my like, bitch. You killed your sister and my daughter, and I know it was an accident. I know you feel bad, but yeah. you won't even fucking say sorry, and you won't even say nothing about it. You're trying to avoid it and act like everything's fucking okay. Talk about the chicken. Fuck you. That's but, what I'm but but here's here's the thing. This is more of a me thing that. I actually really relate to this character in this moment because, look, I, I am a person who, in very personal relationships, I'm bad at confrontation. I'm better if it's, like, not someone I know very closely. Well, because you don't have stakes in it, right? Exactly. But here's the thing. The reason that I tend to hold on to things and therefore let them fester and then it, you know, ruins my life um, <laughs> is because I know that if I get it off my chest, there is a retort <laughs> That the person I am upset with will have to say, well, yeah, but what about this? And I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. I know. I know I did something wrong, but that's not what we're talking about right now. I'm mad. (laughs) And that's what's happening here because she wants to say something to him. Right. And she can't because he says it for her. Why was she at that party, mom? Mm -hmm. Because she knows if she really lays it in saying you killed your sister, the, the retort is, but I'm the one that made her go with him. Right. And she has to eat that, but she doesn't. And I think that's the part, the complicated part of people dealing with confrontation and not dealing with confrontation. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm not super confrontational, but I'm also very direct. And because I'm also have anxiety. So I think about what I did wrong first. I'll be like, I know I did this, this, and this, but also 
you're avoiding me. So let's let's put it on the table. That that <laughs> conversation could have been a little more helpful if she didn't want to hide from the fact that right. she tried to send that daughter with him because that's not how you deal with you not wanting him to drink. Girl, yeah. make him breathalyze. Girl, drop him off. Go keep him at home. Yes, it, there are so many situations <laughs> where, but that happened. That's a common thing. Like I've been somewhere. Like I was living with my sister, and I wanted a boy to come over, but he could come over in the living room with the lights and everybody in here. It's not like it was weird, but right. she gonna plop the baby. She plopped my niece right in my lap. So here, you thought you was going to be cute. Here's a baby in front of you. So you just going to redirect your behavior. Parents do that. Even with my older sister, who's 10 years older than me, she was like, can I go somewhere? She used to make me go with my older sister. And I'd be (laughs) eight years old just tagging along or, you know, just here. So you were the Charlie. Yeah, I was the Charlie. So I've definitely been in this situation. And I've been, you know had a charlie put on me so i get what they're trying to do but they're being passive aggressive they're not good at saying hey you know what i feel like you're gonna do this so instead of completely changing the situation so that it's best for everyone Mm -hmm. i'm gonna let you halfway do it so i'm not the asshole but i'm also gonna be an asshole by putting a person in who's not supposed to be here so i can dictate what you do or try to you know manipulate your behavior by Mm -hmm. throwing a younger person or someone who doesn't want to be here or who would tell on you or something like because my little brother would tell so she'd be like your little brother gotta go with you because he gonna tell on me so something like that parents that is very common so i feel like a lot of people were like oh that happened to me or a lot of parents had to reflect and be like damn i did that it sucks being a third parent sometimes girl i feel like that's why this scene plays so well it's not just because coet's performance is so fucking amazing but there's something incredibly cathartic about having watched this family not communicate like they just they get around everything so that they never have to reveal their true feelings to one another And this feels like the first time in the entire movie where people are actually saying it straight. And it fucking hurts. But they're finally putting the cards on the table. Yeah. This whole scene is very cathartic. It's just, you know, like it's rough. It's the kind of thing where you say like, oh, well, maybe if you hadn't let this get pent up and fester, it would have come out in a way that was constructed because I feel like nobody leaves this dinner happy. Like, and poor Steve is there, you know, I just cooked a nice meal and I'm trying to play moderator. Like, okay, we're done. We're done. We're, we're good. (laughs) Goodbye. Let's stop. And on top of that, he tried to eat his food after everybody, after Eddie leave the table. He can't even eat. He starts to eat and just puts the fork down. He about to start clearing the table because y'all don't fucked him up. You know, Peter at the table crying. You ruined dinner. (laughs) You Mm -hmm. ruined dinner. Y'all could have, y'all should have been family beat it before y'all ate now nobody everybody hungry i do want to give another shout out to alex wolf in this uh, scene before the shit hits the fan watching him try to kind of covertly eat but he's so hunched over like he's like mm-hmm. a wounded dog in this yeah. moment where you can tell that he still feels so guilty and it's not until she starts laughing that she gives him permission to get his like uh he gets all bristly and he wants to fight at that point but before that he's very much like i'm just gonna try to eat and hope that nobody pays attention to me like this movie has so many small little character choices that these actors are really good at finding yeah and that we as viewers have to watch multiple times to catch all of them Hmm. Yeah. So Joan is back. Uh, Annie is still trying to pour herself into her work. So she goes to buy supplies, presumably. And Joan grabs her in the parking lot. It's like a run by. And she says, 
I've had a breakthrough. I've been able to speak to my dead grandson because I found a medium and we did a seance and it worked super well. And we just go immediately to Joan's house because she says, let me show you. So we get out a chalkboard and we do this thing where we make contact and Annie loses her shit because she cannot handle this. Um, fun fact that I I didn't go back and look at this to see if it was true, but I saw this in a comment on like, you know, talks about this movie. So, you know, how she's like, oh, yeah, the, the, the chalkboard was my my personal thing with my grandson, my conduit. Mm-hmm. Um, when Annie runs into her in the parking lot, you can see that that chalkboard is in her bag that she bought from the store that they just walked out of. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> I didn't catch that. Oh, this bitch is a scammer. <laughs> oh, my God. We need like a whole spinoff with Joan where it's like in between planning all of this shit with Paimon. She is also doing like telephone robo calls. Uh, she is like bilking <laughs> scratch cards and other things like this woman is a full on fucking grifter. I love it. I love this so much. Um, but the, okay, the, but because this is the first part of the ritual and i love that she just hands her this sheet and she's like here mm-hmm. here's a how to seance pamphlet for you i love it it's 101 like you it's don't a- even need anybody else to do it you just need everyone in your family especially your son has to be in the house they have to be in the house and say this i don't know what the language is but just read it and i'm like bitch <laughs> google translate that shit <laughs> <laughs> it probably says like i will sacrifice my entire family in the service of one payment right <laughs> For 30 coins and a seafood platter, I will give up my entire family. <laughs> and she doesn't even get that. Her mama and the family, everybody else getting the riches. She is getting her head sawed off. That's what well, she's getting. Okay, but her mother in that letter says it will all be worth it in the end. The rewards will yeah, be worth it. Yeah, for Ellen. <laughs> I don't think Annie's getting shit out of this deal. I, I choose to believe that mother and daughter will finally reconnect in the underworld. Oh and she's going to be like, oh, you know what? You're right. It, it was it. worth it. <laughs> Bro, if I catch her in the underworld, I'm going to whoop her ass to the last circle of hell. I'm going to beat her down to the level of betrayal, because that's the last circle of betrayal. I'm whooping your ass. I'm going to do it with that doormat that you embroidered, you old bitch. Listen, (laughs) smother her. Just like, ah. Okay, so we then do the thing that normally in most horror films it drives me absolutely fucking batty, which is back-to-back nightmares. But here, I find it very effective. Oh, this is the, um, where she, like, I never wanted to be your mother. So first, <sighs> she sees a bunch of ants on the bed, and she follows it, and she sees Peter's corpse with all the bugs coming out of his mouth. And then she says, oh, I'm actually sleepwalking, because he's like, Mom, what are you doing in my room? And that's when she does the, I never wanted to be your mother. I tried to self-abort numerous times. <laughs> and it didn't work. See, but that's the thing. This is a necessary dream sequence. Like, we are literally inside the character's head, but mm-hmm. it is giving us very, very pertinent, vital information into everything going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. And you learn that, okay, that's where you get the, I tried to save you. Mm-hmm. And also, because when I was in the movie theater, right, I saw this dream sequence and I I didn't know it was a dream at first. I was like, oh no, she about to set his ass on fire again. Please. Uh-huh. No, I thought this I thought you 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 left this behind. I thought you weren't sleepwalking anymore. But also he's like, Why are you scared of me? What's mm-hmm. what what's going on here? You're getting all this like these little details because your dreams are like indirectly telling you about what you're feeling or yep. things you're missing. So your mm-hmm. dreams are like they're not direct, but they're also still hitting on what's happening in your life and you get these little tidbits because it's like oh i didn't know you didn't want to be a bomb anyway 
you wasn't even trying to do this and you mm-hmm. you're you now you love your son after the fact but this is a cause of a lot of tension because this is a complicated feeling you know having mm-hmm. a child that you didn't really you didn't really plan on having or want that's very complicated right when i saw this in the theater so I got to see an advanced screening of this before it opened. I think I saw it like two days before it opened uh, nationwide. And there were two big reactions from the audience. The second one, which was kind of the big one for a horror film, was when we see Annie sawing off her own head in the climax of the film. People were mm-hmm. like losing their shit over it. But the other big reaction that people had was when she says, I didn't even want to be your mother. Oh, yeah. People yeah. gasped. Well, e- even her reaction, though, like she immediately knows she's mm-hmm. like, oh, I should have said that because she covers her mouth immediately. And, and then she starts like, beatboxing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to say it because it always comes up. <laughs> if people don't know, just uh, Google it. It's like a funny meme that started. Anyway. I'm sorry. I derailed. I derailed the conversation. I'm so sorry. It's a serious it's moment and I fucking ruined it. No, no, no. I, 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 lo- I, I, I do wish it wasn't a nightmare, though, just because so we could actually have this conversation between them. Right. But as an audience member, it at least does give, her, give us insight into Annie's headspace. I don't think we could have had this conversation after what went down at dinner. Like, dinner was yeah. cathartic because it happened once, but... I don't know that you could repair a relationship between Peter and Annie if he heard those words come out of her mouth. Yeah, Absolutely no, that's not. true. Okay, so folks, let's talk about a seance because oh, she does man. wake up and she she remembers and she's flipping the fuck out a little bit. So she's like, you know what? It's time to call Charlie. So she gets Peter and Steve up and she insists that we're going to do a seance because she is a medium and she's been seeing apparitions. Girl, no, you are not. (laughs) Exactly. This is the part of the movie. One is actually it just like passed in the background. This is the part of the movie. I was just like, you have to stop everything you're doing. Mm-hmm. Like once again, <laughs> you have to go to therapy. You are the at this point, there is someone holding a giant red flag, like a race <laughs> car banner. Like it's so fucking big, they're like using their whole body to wave the shit. You're literally engulfed in red flags at this point. When the fuck did you become a medium, baby? Like why? Mm-hmm. Just why? 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 And right after this, like. She's like, during this and after this, I think something is wrong. Like, I don't even think the seance is right. Like, you see, like, she's, like, with it. She's going for it. But there's moments where she's, like, second-guessing what all is happening. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, why are you yeah. doubting yourself like this? Like, you, your gut is never wrong. God damn it, Ari Aster. You're so great. But, like, <laughs> your gut is never wrong. So why why are you leaning into this shit? What's going on? But she's so over So. If there's any, I don't want to say failing, but a, a flaw I have with this movie, oh. it is that post Charlie's death, yes, we see Annie's grief. Like it is obviously palpable, leaping mm-hmm. off the screen, and like it is that grief that gets her. Like she will overlook any signs to, mm-hmm. to get closer to her daughter again. The only issue I have is that I don't really see that connection before charlie dies and Mm. maybe it's a thing where it's like oh like you know maybe it took her death for her to realize how much she loved her daughter right i just i I didn't see her i don't know i I feel free to disagree by the way i I didn't see that connection before charlie died it wasn't until after charlie died where i was like oh i guess she really did care about her daughter that much Mm -hmm. i can see it though for the reasons that you're saying right where you don't really appreciate what you have until after it's gone but also i think at this point like we know she's not really sleeping we don't really see her 
eating much. Mm-hmm. Like, I get the impression that she's not just spiraling. Like, she is. I do think that Steve is right, and she is having a bit of a psychotic break. Yeah, and this is also one of my big laughs in the movie, which I mentioned earlier with the camera panning, where um, she's like saying, oh, yeah, let's do the seance. And Stephen goes, Peter, go to bed. And she just goes, what? No, <laughs> you both need to stay. And the camera is like going back and forth between her as she shakes her head to be like, no, do this with me right now. <laughs> yeah, this is really the the turning point in the movie, right? So by doing this, obviously, we're accelerating into the climax. But this seance I don't know. I kind of love the idea that we as horror fans have seen so many fucking seances and it's really hard to do anything interesting or new with them at this point. And yet I love watching someone who is clearly out of their depth try to do this and her start to channel her daughter. And of course, Paulette completely alters her performance. And again, Alex Wolf just is reduced to infancy you know yeah mommy mommy i want this to stop no mommy i don't want to do this anymore mommy please please. what's happening what's happening he starts crying i've seen people criticize his crying saying oh no adult man would cry like that and i was like "Ah, that's not the point of the movie because the point is a micro man would cry like that (laughs) yeet that person into the sun he is a teenager. That is a child. I didn't yes. even understand that. 16, they look big, but their brains are not, okay? Your brain is still not children. done cooking until you're 25. So he's still, <laughs> like, he, what, is a sophomore, a junior, maybe? Something like that would definitely reduce you back to su- putting your thumb in your mouth. I w- if he would have mm-hmm. started sucking his thumb, I would not have been surprised, no. okay? Because that is your sister that you feel guilty about killing, but it was an accident. You hear her voice coming through your mom after a seance has happened. That's some mm. supernatural shit. Okay. That's not Hardcore. normal. Mm-mm. Yeah. It's terrifying. This is also where we really start to lose track of time. So um, after we literally put water onto Annie to douse the seance, we start to get these like night to day and day to night transitions mm-hmm. where it's just the blink. And mm-hmm. suddenly it's a completely different time of day. And this is when Peter starts seeing these beams of light on the walls and his school hallways and so on. He also sees an evil version of himself in the classroom. Mm. Yeah, so we we start to accelerate things. So Annie and Steve are bickering on the phone. Um, She destroys all of her dioramas in a moment of impulsive destruction. And we do get this brief mention when Steve and Peter come into the house that it smells really bad. <laughs> Maybe because there's a corpse that's in your attic and has been for so, <laughs> I mean, quite I some time. I do that they never figure it out. <laughs> Listen, because I'm like, okay, like when you, if you didn't know, like if this is your first time watching this movie, you're probably thinking, okay, I just saw Annie destroy this room maybe mm-hmm. it's chemicals or something like because you you don't know what the fuck the smell is he's like right. it smells bad it could be anything no y'all it's it's that dead body upstairs <laughs> like you've been hearing them feet it's wild shit going on leave i will tell you right now so i i don't know admittedly what a human corpse smells like when it's decaying mm-hmm. but i do know what a rat smells like when it's decaying because in one of my previous jobs we had a rat die in the walls oh god and oh. we couldn't get it out so we had to wait for it to decompose oh, and for the gross. smell to go oh, away. Oh, God, no. But, like, do you get used to the smell? Or can no, you tell, like, no. oh, it's something rotting? 
Yeah, no. And so literally, I went weeks smelling a rotting rat corpse mm. until after, again, several <laughs> weeks, it just went away because it had decomposed enough to mm. where it wasn't giving off an odor. So mm. I will tell you right now <laughs> that you know what death smells like once you've smelled it. <laughs> Here's the thing. I also thought that it was, you know what, she's probably using chemicals in these paints. Like she talks about having paint thinner on hand because she would be using them for mm. these dioramas. So I assumed that it was like, oh, we think that we're smelling some weird, like, chemical smell or something. I guess. But, I mean, chemicals and rot are... It's not the same thing. Big difference. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> also, um, I'm someone where if I smell anything... I, I don't like smells. Mm -hmm. So even if it's like, I'm going to look for the smell until I get rid of it. I'm that kind of person. So if it's trash, if it's mm -hmm. a dish, if it's something, like, I could... A Brussels sprouts. And I was like... I took out the trash. I can't find this Brussels because you know if you you know mm -hmm. pan sear them, they're they're a little it rolled mm, under the counter and it's rotting. Yeah, I need to find this lone Brussels sprout because I cannot deal. Every time I come in the house, it smells like booty holes. I can't do that. So <laughs> when a rat dies in your wall and you cannot get through the wall to this dead rat, what do you do? I would cry every day. I, I would. <laughs> oh, I would. I would literally have to call mate. Like, can someone please? Can someone get it out? Like, what is there a hole I can cut? What can I do? Because yeah, I, oh, would, I would just be saying, I would telltale hearted. I would be tearing up the wall trying to. Find <laughs> <it>. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I will just say it smells even worse than you could imagine. Mm. It smells horrible. <laughs> it stinks. Yeah. It happened in my high school, and there were like I guess several rats in the wall, Ugh. and we were in the basement, so it smelled like shit and ass every day. <laughs> every day, you do not get used to it. It's very pungent. Like, it just sticks in your nose. This is this is great, folks. This is fantastic. <laughs> the, the podcast is now presented in Smell-O-Vision. Let's oh get God. it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Let's move through some of these next scenes a little bit faster, because I feel like we can probably yeah. talk about them quickly. In the middle of the night, Peter is awoken by tongue pops, and someone tries to pull his head off. Yeah. Do, do we think this was actually Annie who was kind of possessed by the demon? Or do you think this is him hallucinating? Yes. I thought it was cult members, maybe, because I'm like, they everywhere. It could have been yeah. a cult member. <laughs> you know, you're probably right, actually. Could be. Yeah. <laughs> or it could be his guilt over, over killing Charlie, so he feels like his head should be torn off. Mm. He did see her. He was just staring like, I can't, I know that ain't who I think it is. <laughs> I love too that the, so you know he hallucinates Charlie in the room and like uh, Annie comes in and she, this is kind of when she's realized that she's done fucked up, right. um, but she's like comforting him and then she just all of a sudden goes, "Now what corner did you see Charlie in?" <laughs> <laughs> Bitch, that is not the conversation we were having. <laughs> I do also like that she says, "You know what? I'm the only one who can fix this. It'll be fine. I'm just gonna burn this sketchbook real, real quick. That's mm. got pictures of your face with your eyes xed out." And then she goes down tosses it into the fire and is just immediately like oh my arm is on fire now hmm. yeah that's why she pull up on joan like what the fuck did you do what did well, you give me what language right. is this but joan ain't there she's busy yelling at peter through his school yelling words that are trying to expel him from his body to make room for mm -hmm. one payment I just let he's sitting there. He's despondent. He's barely like he doesn't even seem to know where he's at. And he just hears this woman yelling words at him. He looks up and there's fucking Joan saying, get out, Peter. Get out. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, crazy lady. Who are you and why are you yelling at me? 
Where he looks around like y'all don't hear that shit. He no he's one like, else reacts. No one's reacting. He's like because he he thinks this is in his head because mm-hmm. no one's reacting yeah. as he keeps hearing her yell and ever he's like this can't be happening. No one is even looking up. They're still you know eating their little lunch and everything else. Like this woman is yelling across the street. Mm-hmm. Which again is just proof that none of the events of this movie are real. This is all just happening inside of Annie's makeshift story in Christina. <laughs> Can you imagine what a fucking letdown that would be? Dude, would be it's, like, it's like the Saint Elsewhere of horror movies. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, would watch, but not in this particular version. Yeah. Okay, so yes, um, this is when Annie starts to put things together because she does find a book that has the same necklace. Uh, We've got the same familiar symbol. And of course, we also get a highlighted section that is talking about King Payman, a demon who covets a male body. All right, a couple things. Uh, So I I, I have this text. So A, we have Payman riding a camel, holding a little globe, and also a staff, but the staff is a severed arm with its hand molded in a very peculiar fashion, which is exactly Mm -hmm. what Alex Wolf will emulate when he bashes his head into into the desk later. Right. He's also attached to the the camel are three severed heads. And... How many severed heads in this movie? Oh my god, I think there's three. Oh my god. Well, well, well. But what this text says, so it says, when successfully invoked, Payman will possess the most vulnerable host. Only when the ritual is complete will Payman be locked into his ordained host. Once locked in, a new ritual is required to unlock the possession. And then it says, the Goetia, and I guess the Goetia is like a famous black arts book. I don't know. Okay. The Goetia itself makes no mention of King Payman's face. While other documentation describes him as having a woman's face, while still referring to him using strictly masculine pronouns. Right. As a result, the sexes of the hosts have varied, but the most successful incarnations have been with men. And it is documented that King Payman has become livid and vengeful when offered a female host. For these reasons, it is imperative to remember that King Payman is a male and thus covetous of a male human body. Right. So... So he's a misogynist, is what you're saying. <laughs> well, there's so, there's so many ways to read this, right? Because, obviously, there's a trans reading to be, be made here, right? We have a male demon who is unhappy with his gender dysphoria in a female human host. Mm-hmm. So he has to go through this whole thing to become a male, to get into a male host. And so I'll pull in my source for this. It's an article called Trans Horror Stories and Society's Fear of the Transmasculine Body. And this is written by Sasha Geffen for them. And they go on to say, Hereditary's transition allegory involves not only the violent death of a girl, but also the torture and eventual evacuation of a cis male body. Charlie does not merely change, but steals something that belongs to a man. That Charlie's transition requires so much physical violence speaks to a lingering anxiety among many cis people that transition is, at best, a form of mutilation, and at worst, a kind of death. A sloughing of one body in exchange for a new, different one. A girl dies, so a boy can live as a boy. The impulse to transition is often interpreted as a form of self-destructive madness, and in the case of transmasculine people, it can be read as a flocking to power, a magnetic pull away from the subjugated gender toward the one in control, which in this case, of course, is the man. Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because it seems like the most active cultists are women who are supporting this male deity and they Mm kind of like oops got it wrong by putting it into charlie's body so now they got to get it into the quote-unquote right body 
But I will say, I, I think that there's a positive trans read of this, where mm-hmm. it's like when you try to deny people the body that they identify as, yep. you incur their wrath and possibly also their violence. So get the fuck out of the way when people need to transition. I agree yeah. with that. Also, it's just, just because it, like, the looks don't matter. They're like, oh, well, payment might have a face that seems feminine, but that does not mean that payment is a woman or a girl right. like that's mm-hmm. not that's not what that means so payment said i'm a man mm-hmm. this is the body i want bitch mm-hmm. you're not getting what you want unless i get what i want love and i, <laughs> I like that yeah i agree you could read that positively like, okay yeah the the moral of the story here is everyone should be the gender they, they identify as right yes. we shouldn't get in the way of that Mm-hmm. When you try to fight it, you make it worse. Yes. To play devil's advocate, though, because we are literally de- dealing with a demon, a devil of hell, uh, that muddies the waters a bit, right? Because this is then uh, a demon <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> who, who is incorporated into this trans narrative. But how do we know how demons identify? Maybe they also need to transition. Who are we oh, to say? Okay. Did they start off as demons? Were they humans first? How did that come to be? For sure, but go tell some super hyper-religious conservative Christian person that and be like, well, because they will brush it off as, well, yeah, it's a demon. Of course, trans people are demons. (laughs) Which is like that great pride shirt that's going around right now. Yeah. uh, Where it's like. Need it. Pride month, demon. Pride month, and it becomes demon at the bottom. It's like, yeah, you know what? If that's what you're fucking scared of, then cool. We will become the thing you are scared of. Absolutely. (laughs) (sighs) Okay. So. This is where Annie also starts to find out that Joan was lying to her because she finds a shit ton of photos of her and Ellen together. Uh, what did y'all say? Uh, raining coins? <laughs> literally making it rain coins, like literally bands that make her dance, like dropping the money yes. all over her. They're in a the picture. She's in like 15 through the years it's not even like two or three time has passed they've known each other for a lot of times and you see pictures of her family so you know that Joni knows your mama and she know you she know your family she knows everybody she pretended like she ain't never met you before sinister it's Mm -hmm. interesting though the the picture of her getting coins right on her because she's wearing a white gown and i actually almost wonder if that was looks baptismal doesn't it oh see i was gonna say it was her marriage to payment Mm -hmm. oh okay but i I could see baptism as well too but nevertheless it was something it was that that was like that was her signing the contract yeah (laughs) sure I also felt like it was one or the other, or or possibly both. Like, mm-hmm. well, because because what does that thing say at the very end? She is Queen Lee, right? Where, to King Payman, right? Uh, I will say my favorite kind of gently comedic touch in the sequence is where we see that there's a picture of the four, like the nuclear family with Annie and Steve and the two kids, and then below it is a picture of the cultists worshipping that picture yeah <laughs> it's like pull back a little bit and see what else is in the frame oh shit <laughs> okay oh, man reflay reflay she's just a dummy i just you went your whole life and you ain't never seen these people before like at all like Look, at your mama house her brother was schizophrenic she thought her mom had did which by the way i don't think she did no okay so uh we see Peter back at school, he sees the light, and we start cross-cutting a little bit, so we see Steve getting an update about the desecration to Ellen's grave, and Annie discovering her mother's 
headless corpse with the symbol painted in blood on the wall of the attic. Mm. Oh, right. And Peter also bashes his head against the desk. And he holds his hand up like a good queen, a.k.a. Payman. I was going to say, he's got that limp wrist, but it's like, it's firm, hey? If if you freeze frame the picture that's in the book, like, you're like, oh, wow, yeah, that is like a little limp wrist hand that he's holding up as a scepter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's very funny because there's like one feature on this Blu-ray disc, and apparently Alex Wolf is very method, so he wouldn't even introduce himself as Alex to the cast and crew until after they had wrapped. So he was Peter this whole time, but he said that he found it... Not therapeutic, but like it was really exciting to get to go there for scenes like this. All I could think of was, oh, that sounds insufferable for everyone else. I, yeah, yeah I, as soon as you say method IT, I'm kind of like, ugh. <laughs> Welcome back to the Jeremy Strong Succession School of Acting. <laughs> or, uh, oh my god, uh, fuck, 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 Jared Leto. Oh boy. Oh, mm. hold your nose. <laughs> <laughs> All of our faves is what we're saying. <laughs> Okay, so, yes, obviously Peter is in need of medical support. It looks like he's broken his nose pretty successfully, so Steve picks him up and has a nice little cry at a stoplight. Poor fucking Steve. Oh my god. This is his big moment. (laughs) (laughs) So, when he gets home, Annie honestly looks like a crazy woman. She is flagging him down in the driveway, running along with the car, and it's because, you know, she has discovered her mom's headless body. So she's like, cool, let me show you all the evidence I found. And meanwhile, he has got like the nine and the one pressed on the cell phone, ready to call. <laughs> <sighs> so she says, you know what? I've got the solution. We're going to burn Charlie's book and everything will be OK. It'll take me up. And Steve just kind of says, you know what? Fine, let's fucking do this. I'm going to humor you. So she does, and it lights him on fire. Okay, but he thinks that she's the one that desecrated her mom's grave and put the body up there. Like, yes. Honestly, honestly, his ending is probably the most tragic in this movie to me because A, he dies not knowing or believing anything that's actually going on. Mm -mm. Also, the title of the film doesn't apply to him. He married into this bullshit. Yeah, (laughs) he did. Also, I know that because he thinks he's going through a break and all this stuff is happening. First, he probably doesn't think believe her, but then when he pulled the ladder down, because you know, in most movies like this, the, he would have pulled the ladder down, went up there, and nothing would have been there. Exactly. When he pulled the ladder and the flies the came flies down, <laughs> I said, "Oh, I was in the theater like, oh shit, no, she's not lying. Here we it's go. real." <laughs> but also, did he think that she carried that fucking body? Uh, Mm -hmm. with undetected i okay he's so sick of her shit at this point like at this point he is in hell like and then it's so fitting that he goes literally up in flames like the up and smoke tour he is in hell for real i'm telling y'all he better get some of these riches that this family's getting for this whole sacrifice thing like (laughs) (laughs) otherwise he gets the real raw end of the deal (laughs) so true I will say, I, I want to hear from you three about your reactions to this, because I noticed that, so obviously Tony Collette gets some really great reaction shots throughout this movie, but when Steve goes up, she does that whole face of horror thing, but then almost immediately she closes her mouth and it's almost like she just dies inside. Do you think this is when she starts to become kind of possessed or controlled, or is it just she can't process what's going on and her brain shuts off? Yes, definitely possessed. Oh, definitely yeah. possessed. 
I feel like the grief hits her and because it, things usually when you're vulnerable, that's when mm-hmm. shit fucks you up. Mm-hmm. All this shit that happened now, she thinking she she was already in a place where she was about to sacrifice herself. People called her a bad mom. True. She was about to sacrifice herself. She was about she knew she got set she knew she set on fire. That was evidence to her. She didn't think her husband was gonna catch on fire. She was like, I'm about to die. Throw the book in here. Let's go. Mm-hmm. She was about to, and that's a painful death too. So she's like, just throw it in there. And he throws it in there. And when he sets off, she's like, <gasps> And then now mm. it was able to take over because that was like her breaking point. Yeah, to me. So this is what it is. So uh, Peter getting like, you know, his head bashed because he's possessed during that time. Like payment is right. inside of him doing it, but he can't yep. stay inside of him because Peter isn't vulnerable enough. So what happens is this book thing lighting on fire isn't like a part of the cult or anything. This is all payment fucking with them. So I'm just getting rid of obstacles at this point. Yes. But so here's the thing. So because Annie thinks that by burning this book, she will light on fire. And and Mm -hmm. we are led to believe that that is what will happen based on what we saw in that earlier scene. I believe that Payman did that to plant this seed in her head. Because what happens now is Annie becomes vulnerable enough to get possessed when she realizes that she is the reason her husband has just uh, self-immolated. Yes. (laughs) And so he's able to possess her, but this isn't the body he wants. So he uses Annie as a vessel to Mm. fuck with Peter even more to make him vulnerable enough for him to possess. Right. I think that's fair. She definitely fucks with him. Like when she's waiting in the wings of the corner of the room. Which, Ooh. why did you even do that? That was unnecessary. You didn't need to hide in the wings of the room. Well, that was you just being funny. <laughs> <laughs> that was for us. <laughs> this is so true. Also, I'm I'm going to hit pause on this very briefly. Jazz and Kat, I'm so sorry because you have no idea about any of this. But Trace, in mm-hmm. our Patreon episode where we talked about grief and trauma mm-hmm. in The Boogeyman, you asked me if I felt like it worked better here in this movie. And stuff like this is proof to me that Hereditary knows how to balance the deep dive into what grief and trauma can do to you and how Mm -hmm. it actually affects people while still giving us the kind of horrific demon possession moments that we want. So to Mm. me, this is like how you do it. And the boogeyman is like trauma icing. (laughs) Like we don't actually want to deal with it. We're just going to spread a little layer on top. It's spark notes trauma. That's what it is. (laughs) God. Go listen to that episode. I just rant for 55 minutes about it. He did not like it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, no. So so, so Tony Collette in the corner of the ceiling. So this is something that I... Mm-hmm. What's funny is rewatching this on my TV. I didn't. I couldn't. I knew she was there. It's I could not so see dark. Her. You can barely see her unless you are pitch black. Well, but here's the thing: watching this movie in a theater with good lighting, mm-hmm. it was a very surreal experience because people I, I'm see it at different times, right? Yes, yes. So you would hear chunks of the theater just go <gasps> like, and then everyone was like, "What are they like?" <gasps> What, 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 what's going on? <gasps> mm-hmm. As everyone at different times started to notice her up in the corner of this screen. And some people I found out didn't even see her yep. until way like after they found out when they were told to look for her. This mm-hmm. needs to be on one perfect shot. <laughs> even the audio, right? Like we haven't really talked about how sound is used in this movie. I was very appreciative to be able to have my subtitles on when I watched this today because I had the same experience where I knew she was there, but I could barely see her. But on the soundtrack, it says like chittering and footsteps. Uh, Chittering. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like she's a fucking insect. I was just thinking like roaches. (laughs) Or ants. I definitely can attest to that theater experience because I was one of the people going... What the fuck? Because I feel mm-hmm. like me and my best friend went to see it. But uh, yeah, that 
whoo, everyone's just like, literally, it was like a wave of gasp. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's so impactful. And I feel like it actually briefly because we're only a scene away from it but it anticipates what we're going to see when we get up into the attic oh a hundred percent um also i wanted to point out so right before this scene we have a transition from day to night yes but the camera goes outside and so we we see the whole house like a long shot and day mm-hmm. and, and it just cuts to night when it cuts to night it's about a second long of a shot but when it cuts to night you can see tons of naked cultists just standing around the house that's wild. I've looked for that so many times, and I still miss it every time. It's 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 so quick. It's wild, but it's there. There you go, folks. Get that pause button ready. <laughs> okay, so yes, Annie is chittering around the walls, impossibly, and Peter realizes he's in fucking danger, so he hightails it out of there. We have this great brief chase sequence. He goes up into the attic. And it is all set up exactly like Joan's apartment was, only that was for us, and this is for Peter. So he sees the shrine, all the candles. He hears something, which is revealed to be his mother, basically cutting off her own head. And we also see a hand, right, come out from around the wall. Maybe there's definitely cultists in the attic right now that are in. We we see a a shot of one, obviously, once he sees him before he runs out the window. But right right when he gets up into the attic, you can actually, if you pause it again, you have to. It's weird lighting, but you can see a naked cultist behind one of the pillars uh, right by the attic door. Yes, that's what I think I was seeing then. Mm hmm. So he obviously is completely distraught. Like, do we want to talk about this image of Tony Collette? Because, you know, at this point, Annie is gone. As soon as Steve goes up in flames, Annie is gone. And at this point, she is just doing Pyman's bidding. Mm -hmm. But I think this is one of the most evocative images in contemporary horror, like from the last 20 years. Yes. Sorry, y'all. I had a deep sigh. It was playing in the background. I'm stressed. Like, I <laughs> also, I ran it back because I'm <laughs> clearly got a pencil from pain. <laughs> uh, but uh, woo-hoo! you are you're right. Like, and then like, OK, we're in we're in the attic. It smells like ass. It's a lot of dingling <laughs> swinging around in here. It's a lot Please. of private parts. It's a lot. Like I'm setting the scene and you hear the sawing. It starts slow, and when the mm. camera just zooms in on her eyes, and she's, mm-hmm. like, staring at him without, like, I want to shit myself, because I'm just like, oh, my God, like, what the hell? And then she speeds up, and then, mm-hmm. like, the camera, like, you, you're just so fixated on what's going on, and then there's somebody with just, you know, dick to the world in the corner cheesing at you, like, what the <laughs> yeah. hell is actually happening right he's now? He's definitely broken. He's broken And, like, after Peter this. just woke up from a dream. Like, he, he's just like, ugh, I had this horrible nightmare where I bashed my own face into my desk. Wakes up, dead dad, mom's chasing me, somebody's in the attic, mom saw an off her own head. Well, the funny thing to me is that this means that Peter is technically, like, the, maybe not the strongest, like, the most will-powered person in the family. Because mm. it... Well, because it went after and, him last. That's the only reason. Well, but because they took this much for him to become vulnerable enough for payment to possess him. I just felt like they picked off the other people first. I don't think Peter oh, was very strong. No, like I said before, like he tried to possess him in the classroom, but it wasn't enough. So he had to go to Annie because Annie broke when she mm. killed her husband. And that that made her vulnerable enough to possess. Didn't think about that, but that could be a possibility. I know yeah. that after he saw the mama saw the head off. He broke because he said, you know what, girl? No, yeah, I'm done. <laughs> I'm jumping out the window. I'm literally jumping out the window with this one like Rob Browns. I am out of here. 
it is full on Looney Tunes kind of thing where he's just like, I'm noping out of here and just out into the flower beds it's very texas chainsaw massacre because sally hardesty jumps out of a window twice in that movie just because it's the only option she has but um i also love though because we don't actually see colette's head fall off um what happens is we we hold onto peter's uh body on the grass Mm -hmm. and we hear as kat said we hear the piano wire like speeding up and then we just hear a thud (laughs) which is the head falling off And then it's the head wild. floats. It <gasps> floats to the fucking treehouse. I thought we were done. Like, I was in the theater, yeah. and I thought, I was like, I think we we're like, done. We're like, where else can we possibly go from here? It's either they're going to murder him or he's going to get away. And it's like, no, I'll choose option number three. Yes, we're traveling deeper in the hail. I was like, oh my God, please, not this headless body. And at that point, you see that blue light again wash over him. And mm-hmm. now he's like, I'm going to go in the treehouse now. I'm with the shits. I'm gang gang now. We coming in here. We as a unit, one yeah. band, one sound. Well, he's payment now. Well, he, so. he, yeah, like he's. I think the minute he goes out the window, he's done. No, like, no, 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 no. Because you see the light, you see the light go to his body and mm-hmm. cover him, and that's payment possessing him. Mm. I do want to say the shot of Colette's body going through the air and up into Oof. the treehouse is fucking amazing. It's yes, it it's is. so horrifying. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like the last fifteen minutes of this movie are genuinely horrifying and it mm-hmm. only is as effective as it is because of the first hour and a half of family drama we've had before this yep yeah. character building it matters <laughs> when they're not in paper thin like you you give a fuck it has some weight also yeah. the house looks small it almost looks still like a dollhouse like mm-hmm. someone's taking a headless barbie and dragging it up by an invisible wire yeah that's what i felt like mm-hmm. Oof. okay so Payman goes up into this treehouse. We see that there are naked and half-naked uh, acolytes. They are praying to an effigy of Charlie's head wearing a crown. And Joan is there. And she takes the crown off and puts it on Peter's head. And we hold on Alex Wolf's face for the entirety of the last, like, I want to say about 90 seconds where yeah. Joan says, okay, we've given you the male body that you desired that you deserve and we just hold and hold and then we cut to the title card (laughs) what if literally like what we don't see right after like the credits roll is that he just starts going (laughs) (laughs) starts running down the street because he's like he's gone crazy or something (laughs) like it wasn't a successful transition (laughs) No, I'm imagining that this is like an awkward company mixer where they're like, all right, bring out bring out those fucking uh, shellfish and guacamole. We're going to have ourselves a party. You two need to stop copulating in the corner. We need to start taking over the world. <laughs> that sounded so funny. I'm so sorry. He's like motorboating the world. Oh, my God. He, because he's like, I'm free. <laughs> Finally, it took him how many years? Like 16 years? I've been trapped in this, this 13, 13 year old's girl, girl corpse for th- so long. <laughs> Boy. I just felt like he killed everybody at the, in the uh, treehouse, to be quite honest. like Right. I don't need any of you fuckers anymore. Exactly. That's the thing. Okay, here's the thing. That's why I would never want to be in like a demonic or satanic cult. No. Because here's the thing. Everything that movies have showed me is that these fuckers don't care about you. you no. They will use you to get the, to bring them to life, and then they will just throw you away. Mm-hmm. Exactly. 
Yeah, the only one you want to be a part of is the Rosemary's Baby cult because that's a baby. So it's you're you're like, oh, I probably got a good couple of years before well, this thing gets sentient. But then you're gonna die before it rises to power. So what the what was the point of it all? <laughs> I don't know. Just you feel good about yourself. That's what it is. <laughs> you know what? I really accomplished something. <laughs> yeah, that's why you scam the banks, not the demons. Scam, <laughs> scam people. Okay, go after capitalism. Exactly. <laughs> good <choices. laughs> Oh my god, stop it. <laughs> it reminds me of the party patrol and I'm losing it. It sounds like a turkey. Let's be clear. I love it. I'm sorry. That's a funny sound. I can't. <laughs> Tabitha, do we love the... Yes. It's funny every time. I'm childish. Don't listen to me. Oh, it's so good. Uh, but yeah. No, so... that's this very serious movie about grief and trauma. It's a turkey sale. Okay. But... Yeah, so th that is hereditary. Uh, Cat and Jazz, as the guests of honor, do you have any final thoughts on this film before we close out? One, watch hereditary yes. right now if you have never seen it. Don't watch it right after grief, though. No. Like, wait a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, but do watch it. Pay attention. Watch it at night. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's really dope if you have a projector right in a dark room i think it would be lovely Ooh, with giant. speakers yeah it doesn't have to be giant honestly if you got a wall that's bigger than your tv and some speakers it'll really it'll it'll blow your yes. tits off fuck you up. If you know. yeah i, I yeah, yeah. I, I show hereditary to if any i meet friends or if any horror fan who's like oh i haven't seen it that's gonna be one of the first things i put on for oh let's watch hereditary Wait, you sure because yep. i just introduced someone a few months ago you haven't seen did you start with hereditary or did you start with titan Titan, we, we watched oh Titan together. First okay. of all, we watched Titan together. Okay. You know that's my first. That's my first. That's my gauge. Like, can you handle what I'm gonna this throw? This is my at litmus you? test. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know I love Titan. I'll watch it at any moment. But I was like, oh, you haven't seen Hereditary? We're putting it on. Right. I don't care if I have to pay for it. I will pay for it <laughs> for people. If it's not streaming, I mean, granted, I own it now. But if I'm at your house or so, I will give you the money to rent it. That's how much I love Hereditary. I will give you the four dollars. Nice. We're watching it right now. Watch it today. today. Grief, cinematography, sound design, built-in scares that are truly scary, unique demon experience. Excellent acting, wonderful drama, great performances. Turn it on. Stars all around. All right. Period. Literally everything Jazz said. Um, <laughs> and after I show you uh, Hereditary, because I love a reason to watch an Ari Aster film, but also like, why am I doing this to myself? I just leave myself thinking to myself and out loud to the person I just forced this movie on. <laughs> Ari Aster is not well. You saw that, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> I've been watching that with Jazz. I'm talking about Jazz. He is not okay. Like, Girl. We have, I, don't, I haven't seen Bo is Afraid yet. Um, I've been trying to stay away from all the things. Like, y'all, I still ain't seen Scream yet. And now everyone's scared. Yeah, gotcha. Ooh. So, I know. And I don't know shit. I've been I've doing so good. I've seen it three times already. Wow. And I know it's streaming. I, but what I'm saying is, every film I know is going to be some wild family shit like it's gonna make you sit it's gonna make you think it's gonna make you dissect relationships i uh, hope i guess maybe um and then you're gonna definitely run the film back because it's Ari Aster, so he's gonna like put some shit in there that's right in your face it's gonna mm -hmm. be some things you didn't catch like this is a film it's long as a bitch but it is a film and i feel like everyone should see it and you should watch it again and again and again just because yes absolutely 
Well, not just because, because you will find new things to appreciate about it. And you will catch God. things. Every like, time. Oh. Every fucking time I see something new. Yep. Yep. This this is an actor's, actor's movie. Um, and a director's movie. And a cinematographer's movie. <laughs> Honestly, it's a movie for everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is for everybody. If you like, If you like what you see... Yes, you like sound. Yes, you like acting. Yes, if you're here for the scares, <laughs> also yes. <laughs> I can't stop giggling. That sounds hilarious. Oh god. Okay. Uh. Well, before we announce what we're covering next week, uh, Jazz and Cat, first, thank you for coming on to this, but also let everyone know where can they find you on social media. Yes, thank you so much for having us. Oh my god, the tears in my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god. Yes. Okay. So you can find us on all the things. We're girl that's scary. If you put in girl that's scary into the Google machine. I'm pretty sure it's going to pop up. Um, we have a website, www.girlscary.com. Um, and that literally has links to all our things. Like, you know, like a Patreon. We come out every Thursday on all the platforms. And I'm just so happy that we are back. I love shooting the shit with y'all. It's so great. Absolutely. It was a good time. Also, watch Diabolik. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, I meant to ask y'all. Did y'all get around to watching the remake anytime yes. after we... Oh, I yes. did. I failed y'all. I paid money. <laughs> I paid money to rent it. I hadn't watched it. And I think I mentioned, somebody mentioned, like, I don't know if somebody asked me, hey, did you see it? And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't see it. And I went and opened my purse. And man, them <laughs> outfits. Okay. The outfits make that movie. Yeah. It was not as good as the original, but no. I'm not going to lie. If I would... Not a bad time. No, it's, no. It, I think it's totally fine. Like, yeah. As far as remakes go, like I've seen way worse. Oh, I have yes. seen far worse. I listen. If I saw that movie in a five dollar bin, I would pay the five dollars and own oh, yeah. it. I'm not yeah. gonna lie to yeah. you. I, I, I'm in agreement, honestly. Uh, so yeah, everyone, go watch Le Diabolique and also the remake Diabolique. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at horrorqueers, or shoot us an email at horrorqueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and tune in once a month to hear us talk about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you have a moment, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, please support the show by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. We're in June, so sign up to get up to 245 hours of extra content. This month, we are catching up on Horror TV with discussions of Slasher Ripper, the fifth season of Slasher, and Yellow Jacket Season 2, as well as Rob Savage's Stephen King adaptation, The Boogeyman, and the all-black slasher film, The Blackening. Uh, we will also have an audio commentary on my favorite aquatic slasher film, Jaws 2, just in time for its 45th anniversary. Ooh. Yes. So, uh, Joe, mm-hmm. what are we talking about next week? Well, it's definitely going to be a less serious conversation, although I do feel like we managed to find the fun in Hereditary, strangely enough. But uh, yeah, we're going to switch gears and we're going to check out Justin Simeon's 2020 but period film, Bad Hair. I'm really curious about this because I really like the movie Dear White People, which is his directorial Mm -hmm. debut. I didn't realize he's also queer. Yes, very queer. And he's directing July's Disney film Haunted Mansion. Yeah, so this is his sophomore effort after Dear White People. Uh, Got some mixed reviews. I'm interested to dig into what does and doesn't work for folks. But um, yeah, if nothing else, it should be a very interesting turn. Well, 
All right. That sounds really fun. <laughs> I think so. Until next week, we can cross out hereditary. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. Thank you.